They're coming for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Deep Cuts of Horror, the podcast that cuts deeper. Um, guess what, guys? It's Halloween. It's Halloween, and we're having us a little Halloween party. You might be able to hear by the ambient music that I'm putting in post, um, but we also have a little campfire, so that's fun. And I'm joined today with Jacob, and we thought it'd be nice to break from the norm and maybe do something a little different with this episode. If you're new to this show, maybe go back and watch a couple other episodes. Um, but if you're an old head, if you're a deep cut old head, by old head I mean earlier this year, fan from way back, You'll know that we usually review movies, but we're mostly going to have more of a loose sit-down conversation about other things tangential to Halloween and the genre. So I think it's going to be fun. Are you excited, Jacob? I am very excited, and I am excited that October is finally here because we I don't think it's a secret. This is true for most content. We have to record these episodes some amount of time in advance of the release. So that they can be edited. And I was worried that our Halloween episode wouldn't actually be recorded in October. But it is October. It is autumn. Uh, the Tennessee weather has decided to switch summer off and go straight into winter. So I'm pretty happy right now. I've been burning candles. I have a, I still have my pet spider. I think I talked about it last week. I have a pet spider, Octavia, who lives above my door. So she's pretty excited to be in her element. Yeah, the Alabama weather is nice, too. It's cooled down mostly because all the heat followed the hurricane that we just had that went through Florida. So that's fun. Nice, cool weather, sunny days for us. Uh, I have my decoration. For those that can't see, I have a little scalabare hanging from my mic. I have the fall decorations out. I'm doing my uh, 31 Days of Halloween marathon just to keep myself in the loop with all the latest releases. And it's just exciting to be back in the vibe. This skeletal bear, by the way, to which Dylan is referring, is in a rather suggestive pose. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching him here at his microphone for the recording, and this skeletal bear is, is showing me all of his under, under bits. <laughs> Not to mention that the scale bear is not at all in anatomically correct. I saw a thing talking about how all these skeleton animals that you get for decoration are not skeletally accurate. I mean, yeah, this scale bear has ears. They just, uh, they kind of take a generic anthropomorphic human figure and plop an animal head on it. And yeah, it's got ears, which... I guess, are necessary for people to figure out that it's a bear, but you don't have bones in your ear. And also has a Phillips screw in its ass. Well, we have to make some concessions, I think. For accuracy. We need we need to bring awareness to the issue of so many Ill innocent Halloween decorations getting screwed in the ass. This is really a an issue of national importance, I would say. Maybe even international importance. I'm not sure the extent to which Halloween is celebrated globally. That's never been entirely clear to me. Oh, well, here's the thing. I've had, I've talked to a lot of foreign exchange students because a good friend of mine hosts them regularly. And it seems as a whole, Halloween is a novelty. Halloween as we know it is very much a novelty of America only. It's not like Christmas where everybody has the same basic 
thing they do. America's Halloween is purely its own. In other countries, going door-to-door browbeating hard-working citizens for food is considered frowned upon. And in some, that's just their basis of government. Well, that would be the the tradition of trick-or-treating specifically, but I don't really mm-hmm. associate that intrinsically with Halloween. You know, to me, if... Uh... You know, if the UK, for example, had some sort of spooky festivity that they did at some point in October, I would still consider that to be a Halloween celebration. Do they do something? Do you know? I think their closest thing is Guy Fawkes Day. When is that? Uh, that's that's uh, November. The fifth of December. Yeah. I mean, the, the fifth of November. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember the fifth of November. You said that with such confidence, and it was so completely wrong. Uh, yeah. You can say anything and be completely wrong as long as you have confidence. I mean, I'm kind of ashamed of myself for even asking the question because, yeah, ever since V for Vendetta became popular, it's quite obvious what Guy Fawkes Day is. It's part of the rhyme. Mm Mm-hmm. Part part of the whole thing. Uh, Now, tell me, Jacob, do you have, like, a Halloween memory or anything that just pops up to you? I have lots of memories of Halloween. Namely, of different outfits that I wore or parties that I went to. I don't know. What was your favorite costume? Two of them come to mind. One of them I'm not sure if it's worth mentioning because I was in maybe the fourth or the fifth grade when I wore it. But it was this zombie surgeon outfit uh, where I, I was wearing my scrubs and they had blood and guts and bits of bone leaking through, and I had a, a mask. There was a zombie face that was all scarred and burned. And it was just like a regular party city slash Walmart type outfit. But for like for, for someone of my age, you know, when, when a lot of the people around me are dressing up as, say, Spider-Man or Batman or something, to have a costume that was this disgusting and disturbing, I, I think is, is at least a little bit noteworthy. But my favorite outfit which is one that I I still wear to this day sometimes, is a homemade scarecrow outfit. I have a mask that is a burlap sack with holes kind of haphazardly slashed into it. And almost everyone that I've worn it around has been legitimately unnerved by it. I I walk around wearing this outfit in October sometimes and just just watch the reactions of people around me as they get legitimately disturbed. I was in uh, one of the Halloween parties that I was invited to several years ago. They would not let me in at first because this outfit creeped them out so much. It wasn't until the owner of the home saw me at the door and said, oh, that's Jacob. I recognize the way he stands that they finally let me in, which then launched into an entire existential crisis about apparently I have a recognizable way of standing, which you I do have really a very, know. you do have a very iconic silhouette, which, uh, you know, I didn't realize that was a thing at the time. I'm becoming more attuned to that, uh, sort of thing now. What about you? Do you have a particular memory or a particular outfit? It's going to be very, very basic just simply because I kind of got this podcast together. I'm really into horror. I'm really into Halloween. But probably my favorite costume I ever had, I was like four years old. And I was Simba from The Lion King. 
Yeah, it was, and it was very, it was a very nineties costume. It zipped up in the back. It was basically like a foam mask with like Simba's face around it, like the animated kid Simba face. And he was like opening his mouth in a roar and like my face fit right in the middle of that. (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's just such a nineties thing, but it was my favorite it was my favorite costume, and it's the reason The Lion King was my favorite Disney movie for so long. Preferably Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, Don't At Me. Do you do you still dress up for Halloween? I always try to do so much for Halloween, but it never comes to fruition. I don't know why. I think it's kind of a curse. Every I have all these intentions to do all these things, but I'm really bad about how if you invite me out to go somewhere, I'm going to go. But if you try to plan and make arrangements to go out somewhere, I'm a cancel. So if I ever need to do something with you, I just need to show up unannounced at your door and, and shout, get in. Is that? Yes. Okay. That, that's pretty much it. Like, give me within an hour's notice. I can see that. Now, initially, you you didn't just ask about costumes, though. You asked about memories, and I I guess I'll talk about a couple things. Firstly, just as a fun anecdote, you know how you know we we talk about a lot of movies here, and there are sometimes these situations that feel so contrived, where there are misunderstandings between characters that could just so easily be resolved if they were to communicate, and it's just kind of a a conspiracy of circumstance that paints a bad picture. I had that happen to me in real life, and I I'd only narrowly avoided it. So I was talking about one of the Halloween parties that I went to. This was my freshman year in, uh, in college. So th- this was like seven years ago at this point. But, you know, it was October of, of that year, so I'd only been gone away from home for maybe two months at the time. Oh, yes, Halloween usually is. I'm sorry, what? No, you said it was October of that month, and I was like, yes, Halloween usually is around oh, that time. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's just, just cut this part out. But anyway, yeah, so it, it was October of that year, and uh, you know, I had just been on my own for about two months. And I, I went to this party, and like everyone there was, was smoking weed. And I'm not personally a drug person. I uh, don't really have any interest in it, so I was not partaking, and I was trying my best to keep myself away from it and still enjoy my time. I don't get back home until like 3 in the morning, and my apartment is a mess because I'm a kid who's just moved out and hasn't figured out how to properly take care of himself and keep everything clean. And so I I have fallen asleep on my couch at 3 in the morning, reeking of marijuana, and my apartment is a wreck. And I wake up to my mother and my grandparents knocking on my door, having come to visit me. Without without uh, informing me that this was the plan. Ooh, what so, a kid move. Oh, yeah. You were, scrambling, you were scrambling to answer the door like you're not an adult who can just refuse entry to your home. I love it. Uh, I've I've almost had to refuse entry a few times, but so what I did was, I immediately took off all of the clothes and threw them in the washing machine. I didn't wash them; I didn't have time. But and then I got in the shower, and I took a really quick shower, and I 
then ran out of the shower and tried to clean up my living room as best as I could. And when I got to the door, I just gave the excuse that I had taken a while to answer because I was in the shower and did not hear them. And so nothing ever came of it because I managed to do one of those quickly clean up the crime scene maneuvers. And I hadn't done anything wrong to begin with, but it sure as hell looked like I did. So that that was quite the panic. And I know I've been talking a while, so if you have something to to say, feel free. But the other memory that I think of is not a Halloween memory, particularly, but it is an October memory, and it is a spooky memory. And it is the one that you and I share of a certain bonfire uh, around October 10th, thereabouts 10 years ago, in which wow, we, we ago. fought against our own serial killer in the woods. <laughs> Which we it's may have talked time. about on this podcast before. Do you recall if we have? We have not. Okay. We would not have been saving it for such an occasion. But to bring up enemies of circumstance, or however you put it. But prior to this, me and you didn't particularly uh, didn't particularly like each other. Um, I wouldn't say so much we hated each other, because I really didn't have enough time to really hate people. But... There was definitely an animosity between the two. It was definitely a, whenever I got invited, I was like, who's all going? I was like, eh, I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah, basically there was a decent bit of animosity between Jacob and I prior to this party. As far as formative October spooky memories go, it's probably, uh, it, it's definitely in my top ones for like favorite favorite memories just because of the vibe and the atmosphere at the time it was just one of those things that happens at just the right age and just the right time in people's life for it to be memorable and just kind of cherished in the mind i don't know what were your thoughts on it jacob <laughs> well, well <laughs> review almost, this memory <laughs> it almost had the vibes of a sort of stephen king version of a coming of age story something that you might see in stand by me where you just have a bunch of kids who are alone in the woods and spooky stuff is going on. I mean, I, I don't even know where I would begin with, with the activities of that night. I think the most the most notable period was when we started hearing strange noises in the woods uh, rather close to us, maybe only a few yards away, this repetitive banging, like metallic banging noise accompanied by rustling in the brush, which... You know, metal in a forest is not something that is frequently found, so that was disturbing in its own regard. And then the fact that there was something moving through the brush, we started to get a little bit uh, agitated. I think there were about five of us, four or five of us there. Is that right? Five. I know some. one of us may have left early is, is why I ask. Uh, and we, we would notice that the noise would only occur while we were being relatively loud. When we were talking and joking and messing around with the fire, we could hear in the background that there was something banging and rustling in the brush. And then when we would get quiet, we would hear it maybe once, and then it would stop. Or if we shouted into the woods, like, hey, who's out there? It would stop. And then we would get to being lively again, and the noise would start up again. So I have no idea what it was, but I know we were getting progressively more and more concerned. And 
I'm aware that to some extent this memory is fabricated, so please fill me in on what actually happened. But I recall at one point you shouting out into the woods with very little provocation, Get out here, you lily-licking, cock-sucking motherfucker. And then you, like, bear-hugged a tree and started to shimmy up it. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's an accurate statement. Okay, so that did in fact happen. Thank you. There was a brandishing of a marshmallow spear. Yeah. Uh, A brandishing of a marshmallow sphere. Spear. Spear, not sphere. (laughs) (laughs) We had our own little attack squad. Uh, the, The person who lived on the property had a gun. One of us had a crowbar. A couple of us had marshmallow spears. And, and one of us had a... <laughs> I, uh, I don't know exactly what I want to call that. I was going to say panic attack, but that's not fair. He was just being a bitch. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, there, it, it, there was a good bit of reaction to fear that night. And you could do a case study around every one of them. Because uh, everybody reacted differently. And unfortunately, I don't think either of us was the voice of reason. Um, there really wasn't a voice of reason. I don't know if any of us were voices of reason. I mean, we, well, I think... That's we the beauty of being like 13 or 14 or 12 or whatever mm-hmm. we were. I think we conducted ourselves fairly reasonably. Like I said, we, we all armed ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, we, we didn't like go poking through the woods, but we did take a look around the property to see if there was anything suspicious going on. At which point, and, and I want to make it clear that this is not related to the spooky noise in the woods. These are separate issues. But at one point in the night, the mother and sister of one of the uh, people at this party jumped out at us from behind a car and tried to scare us while we were all armed. I lunged at them with a with a marshmallow spear. <laughs> a spear. It this, still this, sounds wrong. Marshmallow spear. It's because it's not the right word. It's a skewer. Oh, okay. It's not a sphere. But, but 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 we were we were using it like spears, U- using them like. Spears. I wanted the crowbar, but somebody said no to the crowbar. Still oh, mad right. about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's lame. We totally should have used the crowbar. It was even rusty. It would have dealt poison damage. Exactly. Except for yeah, we we definitely had the scaredy cat in the group. And then the resourceful people coming up with uh, ideas. And I, I don't know if this was the same year or not, because we had a party at this place a couple years in a row. But there was one point in which we were playing hide-and-seek, and I saw some people moving down under a bridge that was nearby to the property. And I was shouting back and forth with them, having a bit of banter, because I thought that it was the people that I was looking for. Mm. And then I... Uh, I heard someone coming up behind me, and it was the person that I was looking for. And he said, who are you talking to? And so all of a sudden I realized that I had been having a shouting match with complete strangers who were wandering about the property doing something suspicious under a bridge. 
to which the person who lived on the property replied, yeah, it's probably just a bunch of meth addicts. They hang out there all the time. You gotta love the mountains. Mm. So many stories to be told, and lots of them including meth. Oh, yes. This show is sponsored to you by meth. meth. I mean, that, that was one of our main complaints about an episode that we have yet to release and possibly won't ever release uh, on, a, on a film that takes place quite near to us. We, we were mm-hmm. quite disturbed by the inaccuracy of the film. There were far too few meth heads in the background. Just just a town full of really bad actors. If you look at it as an in an allegorical sense, then yes. I'm glad that you brought up that, that you and I kind of hated each other before this party and came away from this party being best friends because I had forgotten about that. And I think that that's just an interesting quirk of fate. Oh yeah, and now we have a podcast. Yeah. Life is So it's going to come full circle. We're going to hate each other again. We're going to break Eventually, up some creative differences. More likely. That whole night pretty much changed everything. It was one of those stand-by-me moments where everything's just different, even though we didn't see a dead body. Well, just because we didn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> the real friends out- were the corpses we left behind. It's also kind of a good segue. There was a lot of stuff we did in October and October's past together as well. One of the more fond memories I had was um, actually watching The Strangers at your house. Yes. Which was like a first time viewing for me. Well, second time, because the first time I watched it, I didn't really care for it because I thought it was boring, but I was also real young when I saw it. Um but at, at that age, I could appreciate it sort of slow burn uh, creepiness. The Strangers is a film that has a special place in, in my heart, and I know it does for you as well. In some ways, it's a very generic slasher film, but it has a classic feeling to it where it's just, it is exactly what it says it's supposed to be. It's just a, a couple alone in the woods and they are assaulted by these crazy masked killers who play with their food and and do their best to scare them before killing them. And then there's no reason for it other than that they were home. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because actually, I don't think it's a generic slasher. Because if you think about it, slashers have multiple body counts. The strangers, uh, the strangers in particular that the movie's about, They only actually killed one person. The whole movie has basically three victims. One gets shot by the other two victims. One gets stabbed but is alive at the end because she screams and that's like the gotcha moment at the end of the movie. And the other dies. Spoiler alert for the strangers. But the strangers themselves only kill one person. The rest of it is a home invasion sort of thriller. It's really the movie that got me started on loving seeing the characters in the background just standing there all that potential that could happen but doesn't just knowing that they're watching and that movie is really effective and to this day i can watch it and see one of them in a new place there's such an intimate dread throughout the entire film because you know I don't really tend to connect with the characters in horror movies a lot. In fact, I complain about them because I feel like the way they behave is so frustrating and unrealistic. And I didn't feel that way in The Strangers. I, I kind of... It, it's not that I 
necessarily agreed or disagreed with their decisions, just that I felt like I could be in their place, trying to defend myself against these crazy people alone in the woods, you know, this scene where they're like huddled up together in a closet, desperately trying to load a shotgun and, and aiming it at the door, just waiting for something to walk by. Like I could, I could feel that tension and it's something that I don't get from a lot of, um, well, you would agree it's a slasher movie. You said not a generic one, but I feel like it's no. Actually... I wouldn't agree it's a slasher movie. What I mean, you, what would you be... call it? I would just say it's a home invasion thriller because it, to, to be a slasher, you kind of have to have a high body count. It doesn't have to be a generic high body count, but it does have to be a substantial body count. You watch a slasher to watch people get slashed. I guess. We well, just have I to... don't, but. Yeah, I, I don't either, and I'm not going to try to impose my personal perspective on the entire genre, but to me, a slasher is just about some form of killer, usually a masked killer, going around trying to kill people, and, you know, that would, the strangers would fall into that category for me, but regardless, it, it just, it possesses a quality that I don't see in a lot of movies that I would consider to be similar. Right. And the characters do a lot of stupid things, but I can, I can excuse it because one, it's not like they were expecting that to happen. Two, uh, the characters are built around this thing going on with them. Uh, we get some sort of turmoil between the two main leads. And it's just one of those moments where things are so stressful, things are so tense uh we've all had these moments where it's god could anything else happen and it does so on top of the stress they're already facing they now have to deal with these strangers who are you don't know if they're just fucking with them or if they're gonna hurt them or kill them or if they're just doing all three you know it almost reminds me and this is going to be a stupid uh comparison but i can imagine macaulay culkin from home alone growing up and seeing a couple people home alone and thinking now it's my turn and so he tried that was to... actually a pitched sequel i they didn't that. go for it they didn't I think go that for would it be entertaining yeah i know the closest we got was the newest home alone home sweet home alone one of the policemen was uh, macaulay culkin's character's older brother even though the the comparison is a bit goofy i think it's accurate to an extent because that's what's happening there is a home invasion scenario but it's the invaders who are doing all of these crazy prank like uh activities i mean writing messages on the windows in red paint or uh walking around in creepy masks just to scare them yeah, And shout out to one of the recent episode drops because one of the creepiest lines from The Strangers is, is Tamara home? And the answer is oh. yes. Tamara is available at <laughs> Deep Cuts of Horror, uh, Deep Horror Pod. Yes. <laughs> Tamara is home. <laughs> now I just want to remake that movie and just have them hold the DVD up to the door. <laughs> <laughs> Please go review Bomb It and in the Apocalypse Master Race. But what a movie. Yeah, that was very formative. It was just one of those good sleepover uh, 
horror movies, but I think we all fell asleep on it. I fell asleep most uncomfortably. You were in the damn chair. I was in a chair and a very uncomfortable ottoman, and the shortest person had the couch. We were all on the piece of furniture that was diametrically opposed to our height. Like, like if you organized us based on height, we were in exactly the opposite order. Dylan, who was the tallest, was on the shortest piece of furniture. Uh, one of our other friends, who was the shortest, was on the long couch. And myself, who was in the middle, I was on the love seat. So I was, I was okay, because I was in the middle. But everybody else was just completely in the wrong place. Well, really, I was the only one put out by it. Uh, we had had a night full of activities, which we probably shouldn't mention on the pod, but... Jacob, do you have, like, any other movies that sort of invoke that sense of Halloween for you? I can be ritualistic in some respects, but I don't tend to be around the holidays, so I'm not really going to say that there are any movies where I sit down and I watch them every Halloween or something like that. I know a lot of people do that for Christmas, but... If I had to think of a couple movies that really put me in the spooky mood, or that I just really heavily associate with Halloween, one of them is Nightmare Before Christmas. And I know that that is one of the most cliche answers that I could possibly give. But it's true. Christmas has so many of these classic claymation movies, like... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, or, or just animated films in general. I mean, there's a lot. There's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. There's Frosty the Snowman and all that. Halloween as a holiday doesn't really have its own set of agreed-upon classic movies. And to me, Nightmare Before Christmas is one of them. You have a proper little village of Halloween people. It's a musical, and I think you and I maybe have differing opinions on the music in this let me know but i really enjoy the songs i think that the plot is honestly very bad like the the i everything that jack does is good that's a good story but oogie boogie is thrown in for no reason because hollywood wants a villain and sally is thrown in for no reason because hollywood wants a love interest but the core of the story is really fun to me and it just, it's very festive. I, I can't think of a Halloween movie that's more festive uh, to me. What about you? Um, Really, my, I don't really have a Halloween must-watch. I mean, outside of, like, actual Halloween, the movie. And even then, it just doesn't resonate that same festive atmosphere. Mostly because you can tell it was filmed in the summer in California. And when you hear the behind the scenes stories about how everybody, actors included, had to pick up the leaves and put them in a trash bag at the end of the shoot so they could reuse them later is uh, something, it just doesn't add to the atmosphere for me. Uh, the movie Trick or Treat, I really like that. I would probably say that's as close to a must watch for me just because of the atmosphere. That and Hocus Pocus. They just have that vibe and aesthetic to them that every frame I know it's Halloween. And that's what I'm looking for is something that you can just tell without a doubt is Halloween. Same with the Christmas movies. They're 100% Christmas. 
Trick or Treat has this one scene in it. Now, Trick or Treat is an anthology. It tells a lot of different stories that are related to Halloween or scary stuff in general. But there's one particular scene in which there's a group of people in the woods in red and black dresses, and they're dancing. I think they're dancing to Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson, but I may be wrong about that. Do you remember the song? Yes, it's uh, Sweet Dreams. I don't know if it's the Marilyn Manson version or not. Um, It's the Red Riding Hood story. Yes, and this, when I think of Halloween, I think of this scene. Something about it is so magical. It, It has almost a Celtic ritual feeling to it like something that you would see in a a fairy tale or maybe like like even a gathering of vampires or some form of uh, Mm -hmm. creatures i think it it was it was related to werewolves in the in the trick-or-treat anthology Mm -hmm. i don't know something about it just it ticks a whole bunch of boxes that my conscious mind is not able to articulate Mm -hmm. but it works it's primal it plays with the color scheme that you want for the season uh, it plays on a lot of ancient horrors. Horrors, I should say, not horrors. Uh, I don't know. There's just something. There's just something about that scene in particular, or that vignette, let's say, that I really enjoy. Anna Paquin included, being the star. Uh, and and plus, trick or treat is a lot like those people that hand out candy in the bags that have a lot of treats in them. Uh, you might not like all of them. Well, I do. But there's guaranteed to be something in there that you'll really like. Um, and that's what that does. I'd rather watch something where I know I'm going to get something I'm going to like than just get one little piece of eh. And anthologies are really good as well for taking a tour of the different tropes mm-hmm. and genres of the season. You know, because you don't have it's to a watch- tour of Italy for horror. Yeah. You don't have to watch an entire movie about every mm-hmm. different classic element of Halloween. You can mm-hmm. just get it all in this one nice little package. Yeah, there's ghosts, there's vampires, there's werewolves, there's zombies, there's slasher. There, it, it's it's literally everything you could want uh, in, in your Halloween movie. Plus, it's just dripping with atmosphere. It almost makes me something. wish that there was something like this for Christmas. I I hesitated to say this because I don't want to bring Christmas up too much in our Halloween episode, but, and maybe there is something like this where it's a short anthology of all of the different Christmas stories like Rudolph and Frosty and Annabelle's wish, maybe, and and a little drummer boy, like something where you can just put it on for an hour and a half, two hours, and then just, you got it all laid out in front of you. Closest I can think is Mickey's once and twice upon a Christmas. I'll take a look at that. Yeah, it's basically uh sorry not to not to bring Christmas into it, but it's basically an anthology series with the uh, Disney characters, the Mickey Mouse characters, Goofy and all of them, and they play through a bunch of Christmas stories. A lot of them are familiar Christmas stories. You have the um uh the It's a Wonderful Life story, you have the Gift of the Magi story. And they play through a lot of these things. You have a Groundhog's Day type story where they keep waking up and it's the same day over and over again and they learn an important lesson. But it plays with all these themes and it's actually really good. I enjoy them. But back to, uh, oh, what's that? 
No, so there, there's another movie that I kind of associate with Halloween, and this is this is partially the result of the fact that it is a slasher movie, but it's also because of some personal memories that I have associated with it, which is, once again, kind of generic, but it's Scream. Uh, I I really like the the original first Scream movie because I think it so perfectly encapsulates what satire is meant to be. It's not a comedy, even though it was originally conceived as something adjacent to a comedy. But it's a legitimate movie. It's interesting. The characters are fun. The atmosphere is great. It really has this sort of looming, you know, imminent dread. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's like I said, it's fun. And it appropriately pokes fun and applies criticism to the genre that it is encapsulating. Like, you, you can watch it as both a legitimate horror movie and as a satire of horror movies at the same time. And to me, that's just like the the perfect mixture of the two elements of Halloween that I consider most important. One being the legitimate fear and gore and terror, and the other being the spooky, festive, whimsical fun. Oh yeah, I'll totally agree with you. The first, uh, the, the opening scene alone with Drew Barrymore is it's... It's kind of its own standalone mini movie. And it's a great fucking scene. I love that movie so much. Really all five of them. Uh, I just really love the characters and their development. And the stakes that are placed throughout the whole thing. The first movie just always has a special place in my heart. And as a couple of idiots who have a horror podcast, it's kind of fun that Scream is premised on this guy calling people up and asking them horror trivia. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we've not done some kind of skit about that where like we have we have somebody call the other and start asking them obscure questions about Carnival of Souls. Now that's playing the game on hard mode. Yeah. <laughs> what is the plot of Carnival of Souls? Um uh yeah, yeah, like, what's the conflict? Um... <laughs> In the 1972 film Horror Express, starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas, what was Telly Savalas' occupation? You know what, fine, I'll just kill myself. <laughs> but, I will say for the listeners, if you listen to the show, you will know these answers, and you'll be able to articulate them if such an occurrence were to arise. You will be able to articulate them as clearly and concisely, as clearly and concisely as we have, which will probably yes. get you killed. <laughs> if you can keep them on the phone for two hours, police can trace the call. But another project that really kind of gets me into the mood, gets me into this New England Halloween atmosphere that I've never even experienced in my life is Practical Magic. Such a good, such a good movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Something that's really funny to me is if you watch the trailer and you watch the movie, those are two completely separate things. The, the movie itself is the story of these two sisters and they belong to a witch family. And of course everyone hates witches, 
but it's modern day. It's whatever. People don't really know if they're witches, but there's a curse, uh, an ancient curse on the family that the first witch or whatever placed on them that whatever man they love will come to a tragic end. So every time they fall in love with someone, they, uh, the person ends up dead. And the whole movie is basically about breaking that and the follies of that and how they use their magic. And it, it's just a good movie. However, trailer for the movie said, this is a chick flick rom-com. So they put all this early nineties, uh, chick metal music, not chick metal, like chick punk music in it and highlighted all the jokes in the story and the tone could not be more off. It's just so funny to see that. But you want to talk about a movie dripping with atmosphere. This is also one of those movies. If you want a New England Halloween, this is it. And it also helps that the end scene of the movie takes place on Halloween. It's funny that you, you talk about the trailer being so misleading. Because if you were to just explain the plot to someone who hadn't seen it like you did now. I can completely see why somebody would believe that it was a, a rom-com or a chick flick, as, as some people might call it. I mean, you've got Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, and, and you know, they're, they're people looking for love, and they can't find a man, and they're facing prejudice, and, like, like that so and they're witches for some reason. That sounds exactly like a classic rom-com. I mean, it's not it's not a spoiler, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, one thing that's highlighted in the trailer is... Sandra Bullock's character finds love. She finds a man and she has these two kids and they're living a good life. And then he is delivering something and he gets run over by a truck and it's very tragic. She's crying. And there's this whole there's this whole build up to it where right before he dies, uh, the women in the family are going to know because they can hear this uh, beetle chirping and she's, maniacally trying to tear up the floorboards trying to find this cricket to kill it to try to stop this curse but she can't do it and it's very heart-wrenching and the scenes afterward is her just coming to terms with this um but in the trailer i think the announcer says this is so and so she struggles to find love and then it just has this like shaky camera angle thing where her husband gets hit with a car and then it just dissolves and then they start playing some upbeat music and i'm like that is that is not this movie at all that scene is is very dramatic there's no comedy in that scene completely <laughs> tone deaf yes uh but and that was one of the reasons a lot of people didn't like it when it first came out because they were wanting a rom-com but people have softened to it over time I mean, Ryan but that, Reynolds is in this movie. Like, again, I can completely... He is? Yes. Hang on. Hang on. Am I... Am I mistaken? Yes. Okay. My no apologies. Ryan Reynolds. It's okay. I was like, where where did I miss this guy? But for a movie about um, husbands tragically getting killed because they just love the women in this family, and... Um, substance and marital abuse and resurrecting the dead now it does have its like soft family moments and there are moments that are meant to be moments of levity which are highlighted in the trailer but that is not the trailer we got 
but the movie has its aesthetic and that's just something i so enjoy about that film i'm imagining this curse being extremely pedantic and the the main character is just like watching a tv show and they're like oh my god i love that character and then he just dies (laughs) yeah um it's something i just it's a good movie i can't recommend it anymore you just gotta go see it um did you have any others oh i mean there's okay i will say this i really enjoy the adams family values and i've come i've come to the understanding in my old age that i don't enjoy the adams family i like adams family values the movie the first one doesn't hit as well for me all the other properties have not hit the mark it does it's just something about christina ritchie as wednesday adams in the second movie that just sends it home for me. That and Joanne Cusack as uh, Debbie, who's trying to kill rich people to get money. It's just a great movie. And again, atmosphere is on point, but the jokes are even more on point. And hasn't been hasn't been matched since or before. Adam's Family hit its peak and hit its stride with that movie, and they haven't been able to replicate it as much as they've tried. So when you began talking about this, you kind of clarified that you're not too big a fan of the Adams family itself. Uh but it sounded like that you it sounded like that you were conflicted and you came to that decision after a lot of thought. I was wondering if you could just well, elaborate on that. Well yeah, because I saw that movie and I thought I really liked the Adams family. Okay. And I mean it's okay. I I don't mind it. It's not like I hate it. But that movie in particular I love and it gaslighted me my whole life into me saying oh yeah i love the adams family and i think if people really think about it they have the same opinion so it was because it was your first experience with with the that's adams not family. it like i i've seen no i saw the black and white uh one first okay. in fact i saw adams family reunion after that after seeing the original show which adams family reunion was this uh, probably not so good TV movie with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah playing uh, Morticia and Gomez, respectively. And then I found values, and I really loved it. But my whole life, I was thinking I love the Adams Family, when really I just love the Adams Family values. Okay, that that makes sense. So, sorry, sorry if there was a little bit of confusion there. I just kind of wanted to get your perspective. Yeah, no, I guess it's kind of like saying, oh my god, it's like people who say, oh my god, I love anime, but they really only like Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> and Spirited Away. <laughs> yeah, no, I can completely see that. But, like, I've come to terms with the fact that I, I watch The Addams Family and I like The Addams Family, but I'm not in love with it like I am that movie. No. Anyway, that's my two cents on that. Uh, maybe to those listening at home, do some personal reflection. Find out if you're also in that camp. An entire generation but, of people being disillusioned with the Adams family. Snowed. Completely snowed. But while we're on the topic, since I mentioned TV movies, do you have like, what What about like TV shows or anything? Do you have anything that really gets you in the mood? Flicks your Halloween bean? Well, I was going to say yes until you put it that way. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I do. So I'm more of a, a a fan of series than I am of movies in general because I just think that you can accomplish a lot more with a series, and the viewer also has more freedom. You know, you can watch one episode or or five episodes or ten episodes, and and there's just a lot of diversity as well. I think the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of a a good a good sort of series to watch on Halloween it's hard to describe there are a there are dozens and dozens of these terrible low budget poorly produced documentary-esque TV shows about the paranormal I mean, you can just there. There's uh, uh, the haunted or or a haunting. There's paranormal witness. There's paranormal state. Uh, paranormal survivor. Uh, I I know that there's like ten more at least that I can't remember the names of off the top of my head, and they're all basically the same. They get these really generic ghost stories, and they exaggerate the hell out of them. And they do poorly acted dramatic reenactments that have a lot of spooky stuff that aren't even discussed in the documentary. Like, the the person telling the story will say, I felt a sudden chill. And then they'll do a dramatic reenactment and there's like a mottled green hand reaching around the corner to flip off the lights or something like that. And it's like, dude, that's not what he said. But there was one of these shows that I saw a couple years ago. I think it was just called Haunted, that I thought was extremely well done. They had all of the people telling the story gathered together in this sort of intervention room that looked like it was inside a haunted mansion. And they were telling the story as if they were genuinely trying to explain it to someone. Uh, The reenactments were pretty good. But what really hit it home for me was the uniqueness of the stories. It wasn't just a family moves into a house and now the house is haunted. Uh, you know, there would be stories about people growing up in low-income neighborhoods trying desperately to find an apartment, and this little boy maybe had to deal with a uh, the ghost of a woman who was coming out of his closet every night for eight years or, or something like that, or people growing up with their father being a serial killer, picking up hitchhikers uh, off the road and bringing them home and killing them and having his kids help him and, you know, try to carry on his legacy after he's gone. There were, there were stories about stories about aliens. Um, It was, we talked about trick or treat as an anthology being a good gambit to run uh, or or gauntlet, whatever the the, the correct word is there in, in terms of, visiting all of the right points of the genre and i feel that this show did that and it did it well and tastefully it wasn't just another low budget version of this exact same show we've seen a million times oh yeah and to piggyback off of that the lighting was really good on it too um it didn't feel cheap and usually that's where shows like that skimp is when they're in the what they call in the business the talking head portion which the talking head portion is just when you have someone sitting in a chair, kind of like we are, and just talking about what happened. 
So the witness account, they play with the mood, they play with the lighting, and you just sort of feel this. It's it's almost as close to it's as close to being in uh, watching theater as you can get because it invokes that same reaction of it's just you and this person and this story they're trying to tell you. And honestly, you could watch it as a podcast and just listen to it. You could just listen to it as a podcast and get the same thing out of it, but the dramatic reenactment is also very good as well. Yes, and you know, you mentioned the talking head portion. I found that I was genuinely invested in the talking head portion <laughs> of this particular show to the point where let's say that the story is about a, a mother and a father and a son. <laughs> And we have the mother and the son telling the story in the talking head portion. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, shit, what happened to the father? Oh, yeah. You know, you don't know if maybe they just broke up and they're not on good terms or if he fucking dies in the story. And I was Mm -hmm. finding myself getting legitimately kind of anxious about stuff like this. Yeah, it's basically two seasons of really good storytellers telling you their, their story. I really enjoy just watching it and listening to them. And I think you're right. Every time it goes to the reenactment portion, I'm a little sad because I I just really want to be in that space with them telling me what's going on. And I, I don't want to linger on this, this one show for too long, but there's one other aspect that I really appreciate, which is the fact that it's not just ghosts. I know I already said that, but I want to emphasize it. A lot of times when people talk about the paranormal or the supernatural, especially if they have like an, an interest in it, they act like ghosts are the only thing, the only things that fall under that category. And that's yeah. simply not true. I mean, anything that we don't possess the ability to explain with our present level of science can fall under that category. That's, that is ghosts, yes, but it's also religious or demonic activity. It's extraterrestrials. It's magic. Uh, glitches in the Matrix. Time travel. Any anything creepy and unexplic inexplicable can fall under this genre of the paranormal. And all I ever see people explore is ghosts. So I love mm-hmm. seeing creative uh, angles to take with stuff like this. Oh yeah, and you'll have your ghost stories on there, but like you said, there'll be stories about serial killers, and it's a really interesting perspective of what if your dad is a serial killer? What do you do as the kid, completely powerless in this situation? Yeah, because y- yeah. you're you're, tra- you're trapped. It's like if you know if I go against him, then he might kill me, or if I mm-hmm. if I go with him then the entire world is going to be against me so when you brought up all the different things that made me think of one of the thing one of the shows that i always look forward to it was the simpsons treehouse of horror uh and i kind of have a cute little story for this when i was little i had never seen the simpsons and me and martha have kind of talked on pretty much every episode we've had about our little tv and appliance store that sold furniture for the on in the first half of the building and rented out movies on the other end. And they had this little row 
uh, VHS tapes. It was the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, and it was a very minimalist design. It said the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, and then the picture would just be, uh, it would be just be one of the Simpsons characters on the cover, but they were a skeleton against a black backdrop. And at the time, I had never seen The Simpsons. I'm not sure why mom let me rent it back then, but I really enjoyed the stories. And, and at the time, I was just getting into the bigger pantheon of horror. I believe I had already seen The Shining at this point, which, again, probably not the best for a three- or four-year-old to see. But I knew that, and I loved their riff on The Shining, The Shining. That was really great. And also the story where Homer makes a time machine out of a toaster and he keeps changing things in the past and coming back to the future and everything's different. Like Ned is, uh, Ned Flanders is the leader of the world and everybody's has to smile all the time and they're getting lobotomies. Um, the crusty, the crusty, the clown doll is basically Chucky and killing people, but that's just because the good and evil switch on his back, you have to flip it. <laughs> it's just all those funny things and zombies coming back to life. The early Treehouse of Horrors were really creative and imaginative, and yeah, they've lost their steam over time, but the heft of those first like five or six or seven, you know, pretty much, pretty much about the time the show started going down, Treehouse of Horror started going with it. But those first five or six or even seven or eight, I'll watch and I'll love. And I'll even watch the newer ones. I don't care for them. But those early ones keep me invested. And they keep me watching the new Treehouse of Horror every time it comes out. And I mean, there are a ton of these episodes, aren't there? There's one every season. There's like 30-something. Yes, I think we're on like 34 now. Okay, that, that's that's such a huge number of, of Halloween specials to have. I mean, I know The Simpsons is a very long-running series. Were there any of them that were particular favorites of yours? I know you, you talked about the, uh, the Time Machine, and you talked about the Chucky doll, but... Um, again, the, the Shining one was good. There was also one later where everybody became their costumes, and that was kind of funny. Uh, one of the kids was supposed to be a bandit, but he was poor, because uh, all he had was a mask on and a toilet bowl brush and so he turned into a raccoon instead with a little curled tail <laughs> um, and then they had one where Bart and Lisa become superheroes um, strong girl and stretchy lad and they'll kick your ass um, with Xena warrior princess it's just funny and every they've done it you're right there is a bunch of them and they've done it for every season except the first season and that's probably just because they were finding their footing but the early ones just feel really intimate you have a nightmare on elm street one you have a uh, edgar Allan poe's the raven where homer is the edgar Allan poe character and bart simpson is the raven just flying around the room and it's just a very enjoyable watch, especially the early ones. And they would all start out with a riff on the opening of the Frankenstein movies, which at the time were really scary. And they all opened up with someone coming out on stage and saying, hey, this is a really terrifying movie. You might faint. You might get excited. Your children will probably cry, so they probably shouldn't watch this. 
And it's crazy to think that we were thinking that about the about Frankenstein, but it's true. And they sort of played on that. And then they have one about Homer going into the fifth dimension. Uh, they did a lot of Twilight Zone type episodes, and this was one. But he walked into this space, which was really, at the time especially, because it was like the early 90s, uh, 3d animation he just walks through that and he's just in this void uh where these math problems are just like flying through the sky and it's basically the place that time forgotten he's in 3d it's just a very memorable experience and i could talk about forever but like bart's twin who lives in the walls and uh is trying to sew them back together because uh, he, he's gotten really good at stitching live things. He makes a rat bird, which is just a rat on the back of a bird, and it's sewed together. Maybe it's a coincidence, but it seems like you and I both have quite a bit of uh, what, what What's the right word? We tend to favor anthologies quite a bit. Do you think that that's accurate? Mm, yeah. Probably. Like, I love the Twilight Zone. I love Tales from the Crypt. I love Tales from the Dark Side. Um, I, I like other anthologies as well. Uh, I really thought it was cool, the new show on Netflix, Sandman. They had a little anthology episode, and it just gives you a lot of room to explore these characters and put them in situations. I always like the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors just because you do you do these things and you know there's no consequences. You can kill off any character and then they can come back for the next one. No problem. And it's so much easier because if there's a particular story that you don't like very much, you don't spend mm-hmm. too much time on it. And for the ones you do like, you know, you go from one to the next. And Yeah. Every, yeah, every episode follows a three-act structure and every episode, uh, every act is a different story. So even though there's like 33, 34 Treehouse of Horrors, you multiply that by three, that's how many vignettes there are. And you talked about a lot of shows as well that I really like, like The Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. The Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. I mean, any of those we could be talking about right now. Oh my god, Night Gallery. Yes, I forgot about Love that. Love Night one. Gallery. Did you ever watch Beyond Belief? Uh, Factor yes, yes, I really love the main guy. <laughs> and his, yes, yes, I think we talked about it a little bit. He wrote, whenever he asks those weird questions when he walks in, it reminds me of the pilot on the movie Airplane. Do you like gladiator movies? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's, uh, it's- it's become a little bit of a, a meme, I think. I've seen some videos on YouTube that are just compilations of him asking you a bunch of questions. Did you ever want to be a fighter fighter? Uh, have you ever come out of a supermarket and you realize you forgot where you parked your car? Uh, do you like scary movies? Uh, this, I don't know when I first saw this show. It would have been when I was rather young, but I always found it to be very fascinating because... Again, it's a collection of paranormal happenings that are not really restricted to any genre. Like, it, it, one story might be about the ghost of a man who goes around winning carnival prizes for people just mm-hmm. to rub it in the face of crooked carnies who are running rigged games. Mm-hmm. And then the next story might be about a milk jug that is possessed 
and rattling around on the floor, knocking itself over. I'm not kidding. That was one of the stories. And I'm pretty sure it was true. Now, you've got to take true with a grain of salt here. Mm -hmm. Because they, firstly, uh, I I think I heard it best. Someone said, the false stories are ones that the show made up. The true stories are ones that someone else made up. Uh, And regardless, they're quite embellished. But the atmosphere of just, like, taking a look back into some of these these bizarre stories and having to sit there and figure out whether you think it's true or not. It's like a twilight zone, but it's a twilight zone that has some grounding in reality. And Mm -hmm. Jonathan Frakes really does sell it. He was not originally the host. There's a whole season where it's, I think James Brolin instead, this, this elderly Mm -hmm. gentleman with like silver hair. He just didn't carry the same James Brolin. Mm -hmm. Uh, but James Brolin is a, uh, James Brolin is a friend of the pod. Um, is he? I mean, he doesn't know we exist, but we know he exists because he's married to Barbara Streisand, and he starred in the Amityville Horror, and his son was in Goonies and played Thanos. So, yeah. And I, I think I think one of the things that I maybe like most about this show is actually the Again, it's not a talking head as much because Jonathan Frakes is so active, but we cut mm-hmm. back to him as our host in between mm-hmm. yeah, stories. Host. And the set is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mixture of like this this empty void of just like black and blue light and there's nothing around but strobe lights. But then also he's in this intimate little room with all of this antique furniture and and spooky knickknacks and things that are always related to whatever story he's telling. Like it's a story about a bike. Okay, he bikes into the room and and says like, have you ever been mountain biking or or something? (laughs) You just never know what you're going to get. And I, I just love the atmosphere that it creates. One thing I like about shows like that is they are a... They are a time capsule, and I like watching them and seeing when they drive cars or when they're wearing clothes, how they're different than we actually wear stuff now because it's very early 2000s, uh, late 90s. I just love it so much, and I really love the host and everything he does. And again, Beyond Belief is like an anthology. It's just a different host, and I like... It's very tricky to do, but I like soft anthologies where you follow a character or a person and then it's like they do, it's basically a whole separate story, but you have these similar characters or people like beyond belief. You're hearing these different stories, but you have a through line. The Friday the 13th TV series, which was not at all related to the movies uh, where people who own this haunted antique shop and every episode will follow someone who got something from the antique shop or something that was stolen from the antique shop and they had to get it back and that item would in turn wreak havoc on those people haunted mirrors to other time dimensions lamps that have possessed demons in them very kind of Ray Bradbury monkey 
yes monkey's paw sort of mm-hmm. as well love rafer bradbury I, I was uh, I was doing just a little bit of research on Factor Fiction as I was talking about it to see if there was anything that would spark my memory, and I just happened to see that the German version of this uh, the show is called uh, Das Unfassbare, or I'm probably <laughs> mispronouncing that, but which just means the unfathomable, which I, I think is that. such a badass name for that show. Oh yeah, I love uh, that. Did, did you have any other TV shows? Now, probably not so much TV shows, but I do have two specials that I do hold close to me. Um, there is the, for all you Y2K kids out there, there is the Scary God- Godmother series. You had Scary Godmother and Scary Godmother 2, Jimmy's Revenge. They were just weirdly animated, weirdly acted stories that... It looks so gross and you want to hate it, but I was just drawn into it and somehow it's just become a mainstay, especially with the very crappy animation. But you can say that about a lot of holiday specials like no one's no one's watching Charlie Brown and saying, oh, my God, I love the anime. Well, people love the animation, but no one's saying, oh, my God, this is the best animation ever. Oh, Charlie Brown, I love the anime. (laughs) <laughs> oh no, let's try and say animation. But there are people who love the animation in Charlie Brown. But no one's saying, oh my god, this is the best animation ever. It's really simple. This one's really chaotic. The other thing I had was just... Uh, it was just one episode of a TV show that I otherwise don't really care for. And that is Rugrats All Grown Up. And the episode is Interview with a Campfire. And basically follows our... Rugrats as teenagers going to a summer camp called Camp Everwood. And there's this local legend about the pioneers that settled there. Um, And they got lost from the rest of the pioneers and they sat there and they froze to death. And it's kind of implied there's some like cannibalism maybe. And the whole town is haunted by them. And it's this investigation Tommy's trying to make a scary movie. That's his thing. And there's a bunch of different arcs going on, uh, trying to see Bigfoot, some other stuff. It's real cute, real fun. Um, But the ending, I'm not going to give it away here, but go watch it. I'm sure you can watch it on Peacock or somewhere. It terrified me as a child. Um, Not so much that you shouldn't show it to children, but go ahead Get your kids around if you have kids. I don't know if we service that demographic. And just watch that. Watch that with them. I just want to say that I adore the name. Interview with a Campfire. (laughs) It's rare that you can take uh, something that is related to a genre (laughs) and combine it with something else that is also related to that genre (laughs) and still come up with such a unique and fitting name. Uh, I I almost, sorry, I almost had to do a double take when I saw it because I thought that I was misunderstanding something or that they had gotten it wrong. No. And I'll go ahead and spoil it. So if you don't want spoils, just kind of, I don't know, maybe watch a different kids program or skip about a minute. All grown up, the way the episode ends, you have this uh, camper at the camp. His name is Bean and he's leading them through all this stuff and everyone has a crush on him. He's really cool. He's like, 
a man's man, a boy's boy. Everyone loves him. Everyone wants to be him. He's a real outdoorsy kind of person. He leads them through all this stuff because the camp's also putting on a musical about these pioneers and they set out to find the real one. And when they find the bodies of the missing settlers, Beans disappeared. And they're watching the scary movie they made uh, back at back at home. It's kind of a epilogue. And they're all like, wow, Tommy, what a great scary movie you made. And he's like, thanks. But whatever happened to Bean? And, be- and then like the camera flashes, you have a lot of this the ring style footage where you see an eye, you see a sky, it's black and white, it's grainy. And then it shows Bean, he has red eyes and they do a callback to the show and then it just ends. And the hair on my arms is standing up right now. It was just such a good um, reveal that this whole time Bean had been a living ghost of the missing settlers and for some reason had red eyes and was evil. Um... Oh, yeah, because he ate the brains out of the settlers. It was a fucked up episode of television. Y2K kids are not well. Check on them. No, I maybe this is just my bias coming through, but I think that we need to keep up that tradition of showing children legitimate cool stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, especially people talk about it all the time. The 80s. The 80s were hell-bent on traumatizing children. I mean, one of my favorite movies, Labyrinth, as a kid's movie. <laughs> what were they doing? That movie was so disturbing and so sexual. Showing us rock star dick is what they were doing. Yeah. It's, mm. it's funny that it's like, oh, one of my favorite Halloween specials, Rugrats. I don't think a lot of people would have seen that coming. Uh... Okay, I have a point, too. Uh, I actually like, for some reason, I really like that animation style. And Rugrats has some really good Halloween specials, period. They have one where they meet the Ah Real Monsters. And it's just good. Like, there are ghost vampires and all this stuff in a haunted house. It's it's a good Halloween special. Now, I might be biased, because when I saw the um, the regular Rugrats VHS tape, I rented it at the same time as I rented Pet Cemetery. So, in my mind, the Halloween VHS of Rugrats and all those Halloween specials that those entail and Pet Cemetery are forever just combined together. I think all of the all of the things we've discussed so far have been fairly old, haven't they? Like 20 years or more? I mean, oh, inter- God, Interview with I the Camp, so that Rugrats old. all grown up. That was in like the early 2000s, was it not? Yeah. And I know Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, that was probably in the 90s? I, I don't know exactly when that came out, but it's clearly very old. Uh, well, it's it's really interesting how we have this... We just have this uh, very across-the-board thing that we do for Halloween that's very off-the-beaten-path. Now, some of it's more regular, but for the most part, I can't see people reaching for, automatically reaching for Beyond Belief or Haunted, or reaching for one episode of Rugrats All Grown Up. <laughs> Which, I get Haunted isn't old. I think it, it came out only a few years ago, did it not? Yeah, it ended in, like, 2014. I guess if I were to think of something that came out very recently, my favorite 
Halloween TV show would probably be <sighs> The Haunting of Hill House. And I'm not going to spend too much time oh talking God. about it because uh, I've praised it, it speaks several for itself. times. I've praised it several times on this podcast. And we just finished uh, reviewing Rose Red, which is, you know, mm-hmm. one of the classic big haunted house stories. But is it classic? Is it, Jacob? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> It, it is classic. I mean, it has some problems, and it doesn't get the attention it deserves, but it's a classic. It's like Haunt- R. Kelly. Haunting of Hill House, <laughs> uh, just like so many French kings, has been. it's just so well executed. Uh, the, the characters are... They're all suffering through different traumas and different reactions to trauma. The story unfolds so organically. There are ghosts. You talked about the strangers, how characters just linger in the background, and that's creepy. Mm-hmm. There are so many ghosts in the background of Haunting of Hill House that are never addressed. You, mm-hmm. Two kids will just be walking down a hallway playing, and if you're paying attention, there will be some corpse sticking out from underneath a cabinet or something. And, mm-hmm. and it's just terrifying because nobody notices, and it's everywhere all the time. It's so mm-hmm. spooky and it's so atmospheric. It, it's definitely on the darker end of what I would prefer because, like I, I think I've mentioned before, I like my Halloween to be more festive and spooky. Uh, but I, I do love this series and I, and I love Haunting of Blind Manor. It's not quite the same thing, but it's still very good. And I still need to watch Midnight Mass. Oh my God, Midnight Mass is incredible. I haven't watched Bly Manor. But I watched Hill House. It was so good. Um, I really like Mike Flanagan's style. Uh, by the time this comes out, people have probably already seen it. But he has an adaptation of Christopher Pike's The Midnight Club coming out on Netflix. It's probably already out by the time this is recorded. But I'm super excited for it because I want to see what he does, especially with... Because one of the big concerns that he gets is he's a little too wordy. He tends to go off on monologues and things of that nature. Stuff we love on this podcast. Yeah, I can't uh, so to I'm, that. Uh, Yeah, I'm interested to see how that translates to to a teenage medium where they kind of have to... I don't want to say pander, but they definitely have to pick up some pace for a teenage audience. We've talked a lot about media so far and that's completely Mm -hmm. fair considering that's what our podcast is about but Mm -hmm. halloween is a lot more than than media i mean it's not just movies and tv shows like it's an entire Mm -hmm. celebration an entire holiday for some people one that lasts multiple months apparently they they start getting ready in late july Uh, oh yeah after after the fireworks go boom boom i'm ramping up for halloween do, do we want to maybe talk about some of the, the more concrete things that we like to do, like the different ways in which we celebrate? Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Um, well, being in my family and also kind of being partnered with an Italian Jew, food is very important. Um, it, <laughs> the visual medium does a lot, but there's also something to be said about taste and smell as well, but invoking sense memories into your everyday. I'm reminded whenever I think of Halloween and I think of food, 
one thing that I always come back to is the Halloween parties that we would have thrown at school. Like on Halloween or the day before, they'd get a little bag of goodies. A couple of the more active moms in the classroom would bring those sugar cookies uh, that would stain your teeth orange. Uh, some little gift bag gimmick that that would uh, probably get thrown around and end up on the bus floor. And just all those all those wonderful memories that you make because it was something special. And honestly, I wish you kind of had that something like that for adults. Just that vibe of the Halloween and school Christmas party. <laughs> well, I mean, the issue with uh, adulthood and celebration is that you, as an adult, are responsible for creating the celebration. Mm-hmm. It's not that it goes away. It's that you are responsible for it. You can still have that if you make it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, and I, I do try to keep it alive as much as possible. But as an adult, I feel a bit guilty if I'm just getting a whole thing of orange sugar cookies and Doritos <laughs> and little <laughs> and candy. And that's like my whole meal because that that's what you ate. Back then, ooh, and sausage balls. I need to make some fucking sausage balls. Yeah, sausage balls. I I associate those pretty heavily with with fall, and I love sausage balls, especially making them spicy with different kinds of cheeses like mm-hmm. pepper jack and sharp cheddar and mm, cream cheese. Mm-hmm. So good. All right, but what kind of okay? What was your go to? Uh, what was your when you were out trick or treating? What was your go-to candy that you were looking for? I'm not sure if there is any candy that I was actively looking for. I I liked white chocolate for most of my life, and I still do, but there's just so few white chocolate candies. Like, like you never got a fun-size zero bar in your... Oh, I know, and I hate uh, that. I want... I love zero bars. Do they even... I don't think I've ever seen a mini zero bar. Do they even make them? I don't think they do. I wish they did. Um, well, I know whenever you buy one, they're already kind of minis, aren't they? Not because I bought not anyone. That I I've bought zero. Oh, maybe it's just because I always get the king size, and it has the two in it. Yeah, that that would make sense. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that out though. But as far as I guess candies that I think about when I imagine trick-or-treating or the ones that kind of stand out in my mind. I mean, first of all, the little Krabby Patty gummies, they, they weren't good, but they, for some reason, there's something about them that is so distinctly Halloween for me. Uh, I'd say the big two though, number one is those gumballs that were painted to look like eyes. Do you remember those? Yes, they kind of had a, was it the ones with, are you talking about the gummy ones or the ones that kind of had a, almost a chalky taste on the outside and then you bit into it and it had gum? No, gumball, not not a gummy. Yeah, the gumball. So the second one, uh, yeah. like like this kind of chalky, uh, just, just and, and it had an iris and like blood streaks like for as if it was a bloodshot eye. I, I think it's not- just because, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, not get too off topic, but you just made me remember something that you don't see anymore. 
Do you remember those like powdered sugar suckers? Are you talking about like the sweet tart type sucker? Yeah, it was like a yeah, but like you couldn't just lick it because it was like just sugar. You had to bite into it. Yeah, I haven't seen one of those inside, but like you still had to like put a lot of saliva into it because like it was just a fucking brick. I haven't seen those in forever. I, I've seen if I've seen a couple, and I've seen people say things that make me think they were popular maybe in the eighties or nineties, like the early eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. So may, maybe a, a lot of that was just slightly before our time. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I caught it at the tail end. But I remember getting them at grocery stores all the time. Yeah, and I'm sure they're still around. I mean, that's another thing. As an adult, maybe, maybe this is just me, but I don't tend to just go around looking for candy. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your uh, gumball waxing. Continue. <laughs> no, it's a gu- gumball waxing. I, I don't like that phrase. I, something your gumball like soliloquy sounds wrong. Yeah, and. Uh, and also, I don't even – I think they're called little hugs. Do you remember those barrels of, mm-hmm. like, colored Kool-Aid uh, that had, like, an aluminum foil patch on the top that you had to peel off to drink? Yeah, and you used to peel them off with your teeth because if you didn't, you'd get just that nice little metallic taste in your mouth. <laughs> okay, so I didn't do that. I was always disgusted by people who would open stuff with their teeth. But, yeah. Well, it was Halloween, so I was a vampire. (laughs) It was Halloween, I was a vampire, so you pierce the foil with your teeth. Your victims haven't had enough iron, so you've got to get your your metal from somewhere else. (laughs) Uh, For some reason, every time I would go trick-or-treating, I would always have, like, one or two of these. And I think what makes that so special is that it's the only thing you ever had to drink. People always give you candy, because that's the nature of the holiday. But then mm-hmm. you have this giant trash bag full of Tootsie Rolls and Tootsie Pops and, and tiny Hershey bars and little chocolate coins and eyeball gummies, and you don't have anything to drink. And, and so I, I was always so thankful for that little blue barrel uh, of refreshment. Uh, I... They never they they were supposed to be a fruit flavored, but they weren't fruit flavored. Looking back on it, I don't know why you would give those to kids. Why? Because they're just I. They're not really fruit flavor. You look at the back of those like, the first ingredient is like high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> but, but like, why would you give it to a kid? Are you saying it's it's not healthy? It's too sweet it doesn't taste appealing to kids like what what's the, the argument i don't here? i mean i remember liking them but there was always something weird about them it always made my throat feel scratchy not like i can't really describe it but i don't know i loved them but at the same time they made my throat feel real weird drinking them a way that like a liquid that you're drinking shouldn't and <laughs> yeah. it would always stain the inside of your mouth I mean, I guess that is an important caveat here. Like, we are reminiscing about things that we've experienced 10 plus years ago and -hmm. probably haven't experienced any more recently than that. So, I mean, for Mm -hmm. all we know, this shit could be highly carcinogenic or something. 
You know, we could be musing over lead paint and asbestos. But I still just have good memories of it. Oh, yeah. They always made the party fun. And those were usually at the Halloween parties. But I wouldn't... But it was always that and some two liters. And my favorite one was the blue one. And I also liked the grape one. There was a red one, I assume, right? Do you, do you remember? Uh, yes, there was a red one. I think, I think it was are, a cherry. I think those are the only two flavors I've ever had, are the blue and the red. I don't know if I've even seen other colors. Oh, there's fruit punch, blue raspberry, kiwi, strawberry, and grape. Huh. So there's two red ones, then? Or like mm-hmm. a red and a pink one? Dude, on Amazon, the five-star reviews, it's at 58%. Holy shit. Then you have some fours, threes, twos, and ones. The taste was terrible. Expected a Kool-Aid-like flavor, but it was nothing like that. Threw them all away. (laughs) Beware. Uh, Clearly, I read this wrong. Would never have paid the price for this. What did they misread? I don't know. Uh, what is seventeen dollars for twelve? Oh, that's not good because those are little. Yeah, that's not. That's very expensive. Yeah, this this isn't Chardonnay, folks. Don't don't spend that much money on it. It it would be nice to try them again though and see how the memory holds up to the present. It's kind of like cosmic brownies. They taste like shit now. <laughs> Do That's always something that fascinates me is to what extent have our preferences changed versus our memories changing versus the actual product changing? Like when you have something that you liked 10 or 20 years ago and you try it again, you know, who who is at fault for this change? I've I've always been curious. I'll always be of the opinion I'm an adult who is constantly chasing the high of uh discovering macaroni and well no shells and cheese. At the time that was the best mac and cheese I had ever had, and I've just been chasing that high this entire time. But as anyone can tell you, you can't chase the dragon. You'll never catch the dragon. Uh, and that's a heroin metaphor. So, <laughs> on the subject of chasing candy forever, uh, mm-hmm. there is a candy bar that is possibly my favorite candy bar I have ever had. Uh-huh. And it has been discontinued for like a decade, and it makes me so what? angry. Uh, it's a Wonka waterfall bar. Have you ever tried these or seen these? What, wasn't that like the crunch bars? No. Um, I believe there is a Wonka bar that is kind of a crunch bar. But, okay, okay, so what happened is, like, whenever this was, again, it was at least 10 years ago, they had a series of Wonka chocolate bars that were properly, like, this purple metallic with all these little whimsical uh, patterns in them. And there, there was, like, a fudge bar and like a a caramel bar there might have been a crunch bar i don't know but there was also one that was called chocolate waterfall and it was this swirl of milk chocolate 
and white chocolate and I think maybe a little bit of dark chocolate. I'm not sure. And it had just such a rich, creamy taste to it. And, and you know, it, it had the kind of like the bitterness of the milk slash the dark chocolate and, and the creamy sweetness of the white chocolate. So good. Ooh. And my my parents slash grandparents would get me one for my stocking at, at Christmas every year that they had them. But that was only like one or two years. And I've been looking for them ever since. And I finally realized that Google existed and I learned that they are not made anymore. And, oh that, and that makes me so angry. Mm. It's not fun. Uh, I I used to love those things. Well, I love the Crunch Bar. I get those all the time because they were sold exclusively at Hollywood Video. Um, <laughs> but like my two favorite candies I always reach for was Blow Pops and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Now, I've kind of fallen out of blow pops as an adult, but Reese's peanut butter cups are still a huge weakness of mine. I just I just love those in any form or fashion. Really any peanut butter and chocolate combination, I'm game for. White chocolate, dark chocolate, I've even grown into loving the ones that are like pretzels and covered in the chocolate and the uh peanut butter sauce. So good. Have you ever tried ruby chocolate? I don't believe so. So it, I don't think they make a Reese's cup for it. Maybe they do, but it's one of these like new kind of sensational things that people make, and it, it's pink, and mm. it has this acidic taste to it, almost like a fruit. So if you imagine somewhere between milk chocolate and white chocolate, mm -hmm. but also acidic. I've tried uh, ice cream bars. Like vanilla mm -hmm. ice cream coated in ruby chocolate. I've tried bars, just, just normal chocolate bars of ruby chocolate. And I think that it's really good. I mean, part of the appeal definitely comes from the fact that you're eating a giant pink chocolate bar. But the taste is also fantastic to me. Now, this is, again, as someone who likes white chocolate a lot. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, a more bitter and more acidic version of that. But I think it's really great. And I, it's another thing that I can't find anywhere. I had to order it online uh, when they stopped selling it at the grocery store. Wait, maybe I did try it once. I can't remember. Hmm. I want to try to melt it down and make hot chocolate out of it sometime. Oh yeah, do that. Do the hell out of that. I also want to um, do it with the, the Hammond's Red Velvet chocolate bars. I think Red Velvet hot chocolate would be really interesting. It's kind of hard to talk about like the candy that we get in Halloween because it was really a beggars can't be choosers. You got what you got. Yeah. And then you ate it. Um, do you remember any kind of chocolate or any kind of candy that would just still be in the bowl in April? <laughs> For me? Uh, yeah. Definitely. So I hate Tootsie Rolls. I cannot, yeah. for the life of me, figure out why people eat these things. I like Tootsie Rolls. I just don't like the multi-flavored ones. Like the vanilla. The vanilla ones were always staying in the fucking bunch. That and the little things with the bananas and the... What what are they? Um, I think it's some sort of Wonka treat, but it was like little, little pieces runts. of fruit. Yeah, runts. Fuck runts. So I, I actually feel opposite. I I think that the flavored Tootsie Rolls are not so bad. I, the vanilla is probably my favorite. 
Um, but the the regular, I don't even know what the hell they're supposed to taste like. I always assumed they were supposed to taste like chocolate, but I, I don't think they are. Like they they don't taste like chocolate. Uh, they taste like this weird whorehound taffy kind of thing. Like I don't I don't even know what a tootsie roll is supposed to taste like. And the texture is is weird. It, it, it's like hard yet chewy. It's just what about nasty. tootsie pops? So Tootsie Pops are just like lollipops, except they've got something nasty inside them. Like, like I, I will, I will tolerate a, a Tootsie Pop because of the pop part. I, it doesn't make me like the Tootsie Roll. You were the one person who was scientifically trying to figure out how many licks it took to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop to avoid the center of the Tootsie Pop. That's exactly what I was going to say. I wanted to know exactly how many licks I could get in before I had to throw it away because I don't want to taste that shit. (laughs) You know, you're like, ooh, man, I love cherry. This cherry lollipop is so good. And then, oh, my mouth is flooded with this weird chocolate taffy tree sap I don't even know what it is, but it's... Mm. Yeah, but eventually, like, the the whole flavor would be ruined, and all you'd be able to taste was just the cardboard like, lollipop stick. Yeah. Which, I'm curious if people who like Tootsie Rolls even like Tootsie Pops, because there, there are three different hurdles you have to cross. You have to like Tootsie Rolls, you have to like the lollipop, and you have to think they taste good together. Mm-hmm. I like them. Okay. Why not psychological conditioning? Um, now you right. just to just to move back a bit because we, we didn't talk at a great extent about your candies. You said you liked blow pops. Is that right? Yeah. So blow pops were the ones that had gum in the middle. Yes. Okay. Uh, you get a meal and you get a snack that you can just chew on forever. I always remember. So contrary to the Tootsie Pop phenomenon where i get to the center i'm like okay throw this away when i get to the middle of a blow pop i'm just so excited because you get to crunch down on that because it's gum but it's like gum that's coated in this hard lollipop shell that you break into it and i don't know it's like it's like biting into the flesh of your prey or something i don't know it it was it uh... gives me anxiety (laughs) why is that i didn't like mixing the uh i didn't like mixing the sucker with the gum Something that you are supposed to swallow versus something you're not supposed to swallow? Yeah. With a stick thrown in there for good measure? Yeah, I completely yeah. I, I agree with the that. The worst part was you'd have to like make sure you got around the got around the stick. Yeah. And you had to kind of uh, 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 like uh, twist all the way bit. around. Yeah, twist it a little bit just to get all the gum off. And you never got all the gum off, so you felt wasteful. But you also didn't want to be chewing on carb. No, they weren't on cardboard, were they? They were on uh, plastic. It was whatever that the white stick was. Like I, I feel it was like supposed it... to be a whistle. Are you serious? Yeah, it has a little hole in it. it has a little hole at the cut at uh, toward the bottom. It's supposed to be a whistle. Sounds like you got some bougie blow pops or something. I don't ever remember that. I mean, maybe I wasn't looking for it. It is just regular blow pops. Oh, mmm. Yes, bartender, I'd like a regular blow, please. That might be... I don't know how they make it. Maybe that little hole there was initially so that they can just pour that... Because it was... It's a hollow center. Maybe it was like that so they could 
somehow pour the hot gum in there into the center when they make the mold. I don't know. I, I don't could, know. I could see that, but I feel like the easier way to make it would just be to put the gum on first and then dip the lollipop around it, right? Yeah, but then that's a lot of people you have to hire to pre-chew the gum to get it soft and stick it on the thing. That was also another thing that bothered me was the fact that you did you you never see the gum like in its original state. So you don't know if it's ABC gum. ABC gum already been chewed. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> Well, what, so what about other stuff? Like, not just candy, but, I mean, food, drink, anything you associate with uh, Halloween? Well, Jacob, now that you mention it, uh, one, one big thing about really any holiday in my family is food, especially Halloween. We kind of have this thing we do every year. I know me and a friend of mine, for the longest time, we always had this tradition of making chili, carving pumpkins, and watching Hocus Pocus. A fun little story about that is this individual is not a homemaker, doesn't really know how to cook. And I, I I ground the meat. I had it about halfway done like you're supposed to. And so I chopped up the onion and the bell pepper and half the jalapeno, put it in there. And I chopped up the garlic. I handed it to her because, you know. Uh, whenever someone can't cook, the least they can do is just put stuff in and stir. This individual rubs her eyes after touching jalapeno, onion, garlic, and green pepper, which caused her to run around my house like a chicken with her head cut off, run outside of my house onto the ground, and I had to force hold her head up to put saline solution in her eyes. <laughs> I mean, I, I can I can certainly empathize with that. Uh, I tend to cook with ghost peppers a lot, and I'm thinking about mm -hmm. moving up to Carolina Reapers because I've got a couple dried ones in my pantry right now that I need to do something with. There was mm -hmm. uh, there there were three separate occasions in which I cooked with ghost pepper, ate my meal, and then immediately drove somewhere, and then while on the road rubbed my eye and then had to somehow extricate myself from the street or the highway wherever I happened to be at the time and and give myself attention uh, because at one point I was driving down uh, the road on the edge of the town between the movie theater and the water department and mm -hmm. I was completely blind I could not see anything my eyes were burning and watering so badly i had to pull off on the side of the road <laughs> and like scramble to find some way to to way to remedy this situation so it's awful yeah i can't i can't imagine doing that on the road the only time i got close to doing it which i'm sure i got it in my eyes before uh, but i was showering after i i made some like curry or something i made like a little I like to do mixed cuisines and like try it out. So I was thinking Mexican curry. How did that? How did that go? It smelled bad but tasted good. The only problem is I went to shower afterward and I was washing myself. I I, I got the hot in my pee hole. That hurt. It hurt severely. You don't yeah, want I, it in your even, eyes and you don't want it in your pee hole. I don't want to ask questions, but I have questions about this. But I don't even want to. I don't think I want to. I was showering. Yeah, I was showering. I was washing showering? myself. You're showering in a situation in which you have 
you, you you're like messing around with your dick so significantly uh-huh. that you, you get uh-huh. spice in your urethra before you have sufficiently washed your hands. Do you just step in the shower and immediately start jerking off or something like what? No, no, and you you gotta wet yourself. Like you gotta do the pre-soak. You're standing in the shower. You're you're getting wet passively. Okay, well the thing is, I'm hairy, so you gotta kind of okay. work in the water. Otherwise, you just get the hair wet. I'm okay. like a I'm like a dog. Fair. You gotta. <laughs> so so that was chili that you said that you were making. Is that right? Yes, chili. Okay. Now I, burning dicks. It really is uh, Halloween. Well, no, no. The the burning dick was a Mexican curry. Uh, is what yeah, it was less curry and more Mexican that I blame. Okay. It was the Serrano. So I I don't know how how long we wanna we wanna stay on this, but what what did you use to make this Mexican curry? Because when I think of like garam masala and turmeric and cumin and all of these spices that you might imagine in an mm-hmm. Indian dish. I don't think of Mexican food at all, but that, that maybe I'm crazy, but those two things don't sound like they mesh. Besides the garam masala, uh, everything else is pretty common to most Mexican dishes. Interesting. See, I don't eat much Mexican food, so I didn't know that. Yeah, cumin is a big part of Mexican food, or at least more adapted Mexican food, I would say. I don't know if I've tasted it so much in authentic Mexican food, but definitely Tex-Mex. Basically, I did, uh, it was just like a chicken, but I added jalapenos and a little bit more cumin. But I wanted that curry-y undertaste. I wanted a curry paste with it instead of like an enchilada sauce. That sounds fun. I did like a red curry sauce instead. And there was some pineapple too, so. I've gotten into mixing flavors a lot, like sweet heat. I love sweet heat. That and salty sweet too. I've really gotten into chocolate-covered pretzels and things like that. I've never been a pretzel person. I I haven't either. I'm not a pretzel person, but Publix has these chocolate-covered pretzel bites that are filled with peanut butter. I can't get enough of them. If I were to try to come up with some food or drink that I associated with Halloween, it would be the most generic things you could possibly imagine. Like, like I'm a... I'm thinking of bonfires where you make hot chocolate and s'mores and that sort of thing, which I, I'm guessing like 80 plus percent or more of people in the United States would associate with Halloween. And then just... Well, no, I was just going to say, well, I mean, we kind of have a connection to the autumn season and bonfires. So hot dogs on an open fire do kind of get me in the mood. And, of course, s'mores and things of that nature. But do you think that that is, you know, that that isn't as common as what I would assume? I mean, I'm sure it's common, but you have a completely valid reason for liking those things is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, yeah, no. Own your truth. All right, the podcast is over. (laughs) (laughs) I will not have that said to me. What does that even mean? Okay, uh, I don't know. (laughs) The other one, which is, again, probably the most basic thing that you can imagine, would be things that are pumpkin flavored. Uh, Mm. Like, uh, I'm not a coffee person. I I don't drink any caffeine at all, except the occasional soda whenever I need to stay awake. But I have in the past gone to various local coffee shops and, and just tried some things out. And 
one thing that I that I found particularly enjoyable was this white chocolate and cinnamon with pumpkin spice uh, while hot chocolate. And I, I, I liked that enough that I got it a couple times. And now I, I definitely associate that sort of sweet autumn, sort of that white chocolate flavor with, uh, mm. with Halloween as well. But again, if you look at that all in totality that I've said, I like s'mores, I like hot chocolate, I like pumpkin spice. So I guess I'm, I'm on the same ship with, with basically everybody. Else. That sounds so good. Oh god, I I'm not a coffee drinker either. Um, a lot of people look at me crazy. They're like, "Do you drink?" No, not really. And I'm there. They say, "Do you drink coffee?" No, I don't. I'm like, Are you Mormon or something? I'm like, no, I'm less fun than them. No, I'm just not mentally ill. I don't require external substances to push me through the day. Yeah, you'll probably want to cut that out, but <laughs> more than likely, because we're assuming the whole LDS church is mentally ill. LDS. Yep. Latter Day Saints. Why are they mentally ill? Based on they're Mormon. I just called the whole world mentally ill, not the Mormons. Oh, well, it kind of sound well the the way it came across. I said I. Uh, I mentioned Mormon and. I said I'm not mentally ill because I don't require external substances to get me through the day. If the Mormons don't drink alcohol or coffee, then they're the good ones. I love the um. Yeah, I'm not really a coffee drinker, so I miss out on all that. Um, if ever I go to Starbucks, it's just for their teas. I've learned that uh, as an adult, tea is basically adult Kool-Aid. You can drink it hot, you can drink it cold, just the right amount of sugar. And I am at the age where regular Kool-Aid or regular juices are just too sweet and overwhelming. Yeah. So this <laughs> this is a, a very another very cliche thing to say, but they always tell you as you're growing up that your taste buds will change and that's one thing that i noticed very prominently over the past several years is i I have no idea how i used to eat the sorts of obscenely sweet things that you can find in a lot of children's candy and children's drinks and whatnot Mm -hmm. it's just sickening to me like this this thick syrupy acidic sugary drink that you might find like a bug juice or something uh, or, or, you know, just like a, a massive nerd rope or these very... Or a little hug. Yeah, or, or like these various hard candies, fun dip, uh, pixie sticks. It's like, how how did how did we tolerate those things? And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, some of those things you might still like. And if I were to consume them again, I might like some of them. But I don't have any desire to do that. It's in moderation for me. Uh, every now and then I will crave a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola or I'll crave a, usually if I go out to eat and I'm feeling froggy and want a soda, I'll get a Sprite just because it's very, it's a very palate cleansing drink, but it doesn't overwhelm what you're eating. Like people who have Mountain Dew at dinner are, yeah, people who drink Mountain Dew for dinner are serial killers. Especially if you go out to eat, because it's like, no matter what you eat, you're going to have that syrupy coating in your mouth, the Mountain Dew. Which I don't, I don't really get the Mountain Dew crowd in general. Like, I'm interested no. in some of the flavors that they come up with, because I think out of all of the mainstream sodas, Mountain Dew does have the widest variety of like different flavors with your Code Red and your Sweet Lightning and uh, mm-hmm. the purple one. What's that one? Like the Pitch Dark. 
uh, pitch dark. Yeah, yeah they've got a they got a Halloween live wire called Voodoo, which is like a mystery. Yeah, I ain't movie. trying that. It's, I ain't uh, trying that. But I only ever get those sorts of things for the sake of the novelty. I can't imagine drinking mm-hmm. something like that on a regular basis. Like I would feel as though I were dying. Yeah, the only thing I the only thing I get regularly when it, a new flavor drops is Oreos. That's kind of a fun little thing that I do. Anytime they drop a new Oreo, I'll go try it. What's your favorite? Uh, I, I like birthday cake and I like red velvet cheesecake. I mean, uh, red velvet cake. Okay, uh, so I have been looking for the damn red velvet cake Oreos for like two or three years now. They used to sell them here and I would get them all the time, but they've not been here in like two or three years and it's making me so angry because i really want to make some deep fried red velvet oreos get some make my own like sort of pancake mix dye it red and then deep fry it with a red velvet oreo and sprinkle it with powdered sugar i think that would be uh amazing but i can't do that because they don't have any around here and i I guess if i find any i'll send them to you i mean i appreciate that i could just order them online myself but Ordering Oreos online doesn't sit well with me. Well, you can order them from the website. Okay. The Oreo website. You can actually customize the Oreos to say things. You can put your face on an Oreo. I'm, okay, I'm sure I can come up with some good use for that, but I'll have to let that burn in the back of my mind for a bit. Christmas presents. That's just what everybody gets. Oh, Oreos. Open it! <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got a question. Do you think that it would be better to give everybody Christmas Oreos with your face on them or with the recipient's face on them? See, if we're playing the game of putting other people's faces on it, I'm going to put ex-husbands, (laughs) ex-wives, children they don't have custody of. We're going to play the game. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like... 60% 60% of everything we've talked about for the past 15 minutes is going to be cut. Like, what the fuck? Are Doubtful. We? What? Like, I, mean, is Doubt. it? I like Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we're discussing teas. Yeah. Well, we had to get back on track. But one thing, and this kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to bring up was uh, w- one food I really like is carrot cake. It has a real autumn y taste to it. And I do actually really enjoy the carrot cake Oreo as well. It's a carrot cake in a bite, and people undercut the carrot cake so much, even though it has so many flavors similar to pumpkin spice. I mean, you have your clove, you have your cinnamon, you have your, um, it's just a very good all-spicy flavor, and it's orange. I agree with all of those statements. I think the reason that carrot cake is underappreciated is because it is terrible at marketing itself. You know, carrot cake, like yeah, it's a it, vegetable. It has a cinnamon and a clove kind of taste to it. It's very like autumn spice, but it's called carrot cake. When you're looking at all the possible cakes that you could eat, you have your your white cake, your chocolate cake, you know, your angel food cakes, your red velvet cakes, your all of this, and then tres leches cake. Yes, or carrots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm a fiend about cakes. I got into a whole argument with a street vendor over a Tres Leches cake. I paid $6 for just this really little, 
like six by three thing of Trace Leches cake. And she wanted to cop an ad tube with me when I told her I pay $2 a leche and there's only dos leches in this Trace Leches cake. So I want $2 back. She's like, no, there's three. No, there's only two leches in here. Can you can you tell me what the third leche is? Okay, okay. How could you tell? Okay. I'm so, not, I don't bake. You have the condensed milk, yes. which is what makes it really soggy. And then you have your your topping, which is a sort of I don't want to say cool whip per se cuz it's a little sweeter and a little bit denser, but it's also a cream. And then you're also supposed to have a caramel sauce in there. That's the tres leche. There wasn't the caramel. So it was a dos leches cake. I was, and I got robbed. And she didn't want to give me back $2, but that's fine. I was under the impression that the tres leches came from, like, actually three different kinds of milk that were used in the preparation of the cake. Like, like evaporated milk and, and, like, whole milk and something else. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that it was the caramel yeah. and the, the ice. Well, you, you you can use different milks for all of those. And if I wanted to be really anal about it, I would have been. But basically, there are three different types of milk product, I guess. Or types of milk li- uh, life cycle. Three different stages in the milk life cycle that are supposed to be in a trace leches cake. The pure form. The whipped form, and then the caramelized form. And there was no caramelized form in that Trace Leches cake. Okay. I'm so, right. yeah. I understand. Somewhere right. out there, somewhere out there, a Hispanic street vendor owes me two dollars, cash. See, I thought that you were biting into this cake and you know aerating it and whatnot, and then complaining that you you could tell that there was no condensed milk in the creation of this batter. No, it was just, it was just milk bread and frosting, sweet milk bread and frosting. But that's my, that's my little saga. Anyone have any good Trace Leches cake recipes? Go ahead and email them to deepcutsofhorror at gmail.com. For both of you who are still listening, hi future Jacob, hi future Dylan. I don't have any good Trace Leches recipes for you, I'm sorry. Well you better find one out by the time this comes out. But we've kind of talked about other sensory elements of the holidays, and it will be unfair to discount the importance of music. Jacob, do you have, like, any music that you listen to? Because I get it. We're all, even though it's a holiday season, we're all very busy. Uh, But one of the ways I find to celebrate is by listening to music, listening to podcasts in my free time, and that sort of allows me the opportunity to feel the festive mood, uh, and engage with it without having to make a significant time commitment. I mean, yes, certainly. So I tend to try to create collections of music or playlists mm-hmm. or whatever for basically every topic that comes up mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and, and Halloween is, is certainly one of them. I have a, on Spotify, I've got like a 10-hour playlist of different Halloween songs. What yeah. I... Yeah, so it, it depends first. Is it just it's chains rattling? No, it's not chains rattling. I, I don't like. It's I don't just like chains. R- <laughs> Halloween music slash uh, Halloween music slash love making music. And 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you think that's a joke. They they actually oh overlap pretty damn well because there are a lot of like <laughs> slow, deep, uh, kind of uh, I, I guess immersive songs that make it make very good Halloween songs. I mean, firstly, I, I want to clarify that I'm not talking about songs that are literally about Halloween. Uh, unlike with Christmas mm-hmm. songs, there aren't a whole lot of those, and I also think it would be kind of lame if there were. Like, I, I don't want to mm-hmm. spend my October listening to spooky, scary skeletons and monster mash and and that kind of thing uh, because I'm not David in, S. Pumpkins. I'm not in fifth grade, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm talking songs that just really put you in that creepy mood, like "The Killing mm-hmm. Moon" by Echo and the Bunnymen, "Don't Fear the Reaper." Uh, feed my freaking love, love CCR. Uh, and then of course there's like an entire album, Nightmare Revisited, where they got a bunch of popular artists mm-hmm. to cover the Nightmare Before Christmas songs. Like Marilyn Manson does this in Halloween. Uh, and so those are the kinds. Yes, of, I've heard that. Those are the kinds of songs that I look for in Halloween music. Is is songs that aren't actually about Halloween, that but really put you in the mood, or might be about something tangential to Halloween. Um, I think yeah. one, of, one of the big ones, oh. sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Uh, one of the big ones for me, which I didn't expect, uh, is Zombie by the Cranberries. Love it. The vocals in that song have such a haunting yet comforting feeling to them. Like I kind of just feel happy and at home when I listen to them and there's also this this coldness and you know the subject matter is of course not anything related to Halloween at all Uh, but it just really it puts me in that it puts me in that mood like very few other songs do Uh, and and I have a couple other that I would probably like to mention but but what about you well I wanted to bring up real quick have you heard the Miley Cyrus version of zombie no, I didn't know that existed, and I, I, uh, yeah. I certainly don't want to be be prejudiced, but I'm not super interested in hearing it. <laughs> oh, well, uh, basically her latest album does sort of have uh, a rock undertone. It's like a rock pop. Uh, I, I actually kind of like her new album. She has a whole song she does with Stevie Nicks, too. Uh, it, it's definitely not all hits. But that song in particular where she covers the Cranberries and the song she does with Stevie Nicks, it's like a mix of, oh God, I forget what it is. It's one of her songs and then it's a mashup of Stevie Nicks' The Edge of Seventeen, I believe. And so it's... You like, you like uh, it? Well, is it a good cover? I, I, yeah, I really like it. Stevie Nicks and, uh, well, that it's a different song, but I'll get on to that here in a second. Stevie Nicks and Miley Cyrus kind of have the same tonality mm-hmm. in their voice. It's sort of a nasally growl that they have, uh, and it works really well. They pair really well with each other. And the Cranberries cover, I'm not going to say it's better than the original, but it, she definitely does do a good job with it. So how do they handle the vocals? Because, you know, do they do they go back and forth? Do they sing together? Yeah. Uh, yes. So, uh, uh, Miley and Stevie, they sing their respective parts of the song, and then halfway through the song, they kind of swap. 
So Stevie singing Miley's song and Miley singing Stevie's song and no one singing Hannah Montana. See, that I, I think it, what I said at the beginning of this part of the conversation probably came off as a little mean, but it's that's the hurdle that I would have to jump in order to enjoy the song because when I think about Miley Cyrus, I think about two things. I think about Hannah Montana and I think about Miley Cyrus, uh, meaning mm. that that transitional period when we had the twerking and the wrecking balls and all that and neither of these things put me in the halloween mood uh i don't really want to think about either of those i mean i my quick little opinion on all that was she just had to do something to divorce herself from all that i do think she's a lot smarter than people give her credit for uh, not much smarter, like she's not a rocket scientist or anything, but she, she is someone who has been around music and the entertainment industry her whole, her whole life. So she does know what she's, uh, talking about. And it's, uh, I believe this album she put out was a live album. So it, it just has that raw emotion that you want from an album it's not overly produced and overly polished as well i had a couple picks for music as well and i'm going to preface this by also saying i've been doing my 31 days of halloween where i just watch or i watch or consume a halloween style property for 31 days and that's been going real well and one thing i've really come to appreciate is score i mean i always appreciated it and you always have the big Scores like the Halloween score is iconic. Uh, and we talk about score on the podcast all the time and how, how that plays into the effect. But one score that really has just put me in the mood and has found its way onto my Halloween shuffle playlist is the score to Practical Magic. I know I talked about the movie earlier, but revisiting that movie, it's just such a terrific score. It has, it has that, it's not overly spooky, but it does scream fall and it does sort of have that youthful, hopeful jubilance that say, um, Jurassic Park, the theme to Jurassic Park has, there's sort of a longing in there. I can't really express it, but it's very, it's just very powerful. And then of course, probably my, my next little bit was, Things Go Bump in the Night by All Stars. A lot of people, you're not going to know that song off the top of your head. Unless you're an old head Scooby-Doo fan or a Y2K kid. And basically, it's the song from the live-action Scooby-Doo movie where they're all running out of the haunted house attraction after they were all disguised as wax figures from the act and they're running out it's a total bot we only get that one snippet in the movie but i fucking love that song it it just really puts me in the mood and then of course how soon is now by the smiths which was the theme song for the show charmed and was featured heavily in the movie the craft it's just a vibe reset for the whole season Okay, I, I'm curious about something. So I, I don't mm -hmm. know the correct terminology for a lot of musical genres, and I, I suspect that even for people who do, there's a lot of confusion and overlap. So I'm probably saying mm -hmm. the wrong thing here. But with uh, Things Go Bump in the Night, there is a very specific quality to that song that I associate heavily with Scooby-Doo, and mm -hmm. consequently I associate with spooky things. And mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like a funky, I guess, 
feeling to it. Is that the correct word or what? 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 Yeah, it's kind of it. It give every time I listen to it, especially in the beginning, it gives me thriller vibes. Yes. Okay. So it's like a pop sort of funky tune. Did what created the association between that and spooky things? Is it thriller? Is it Scooby-Doo that did it? Like, because I don't see any inherent connection between those, between that genre and music and, and the Halloween season, but I definitely feel it. I, I can't really speak for Thriller. I do believe it was supposed to, if not intentionally, uh, it has become a staple of Halloween. I can't get through the season without hearing Vincent Price doing his little spiel in the tail end of the song i think it's beautiful i love vincent price to death and i love songs that do try to imitate it there was a similar song on the soundtrack for the new hocus pocus movie i thought it was real fun where you have the spoken word and they're rhyming and it's deep it's dark it's kooky and this one does a similar thing and i just i just love it uh now you're right the movie scooby-doo doesn't really invoke too much halloween but the song for me just does because of the language used in it and also sort of the framing device therein. Because like even uh, in a lot of other songs, there's this sort of, I guess, rhythmic poppiness and not pop like pop mm-hmm. music, but like it, the rhythm is actually popping out at you. Like uh, Crying Lightning by the Arctic Monkeys is another mm-hmm. example of a song where has nothing to do with Halloween, but it just gives me that Scooby-Doo vibe to it. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I feel like it might have been a song that, that you could have seen featured on, uh, again, like the live-action movie or maybe one of the newer uh, cartoon episodes. I just think that that's so curious because it's, it's something that I've not heard anybody talk about before. Something that was also very prevalent, we don't really get it for old Scooby-Doo, but with What's New Scooby-Doo, they started doing this thing where they'd have a different artist uh, do a song whenever they do a chase scene every episode. Most of the time they were spooky. And I love the fact that A Simple Plan did the theme song to What's New Scooby-Doo for the TV show, because I love A Simple Plan. They they did that for a lot of the movies as well. The, mm-hmm. Like The Witch's Ghost, you had the Hex Girls. Uh, I know the hex love the hex girls like two or three other times at least as well. There was oh yeah, they're they're a mainstay in the genre. Oh my gosh, uh, Zombie Island. So do you remember Terror Time? Song? Yes, Terror Time. That is such a good one. I don't even know who sang that. Oh god, it's someone big, but I can't name them off the top of my head for the podcast. But I love Scooby Doo on Zombie Island so much. Uh, I didn't much care for Return to Zombie Island. I don't remember anything about that one. Eh, I mean, it came. It, you probably wouldn't. It came out in like 2019. Okay, then I'm not seeing. But it, it. yeah, yeah, no, it kind of. You're not really missing much. It kind of took the piss out of a uh, Zombie Island. And then same with uh, same with uh, the thirteenth, the Curse of the Thirteenth Ghost of Scooby Doo. It was supposed to be this epic. Uh, finale to the one season TV show, The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, where they find a chest of demons in King Solomon's tomb. Hmm. And the whole show is uh, Scooby, Scrappy, Daphne, and Flim Flam. They meet a a kid named Flim Flam. They're going around the world trying to collect all these 13 demons. And the new movie was about them trying to catch the last one, Asmodeus, 
and put him back in the chest of demons. And it just kind of took the piss out of the whole thing for me. But that's my little Scooby-Doo corner. I, I apologize if I have misunderstood part of, of what you just said. But you're telling me there was a Scooby-Doo uh, property that was having to seal demons, including Asmodeus, into an ancient chest yes. owned by King Solomon? Yes. What? Yes. Who? That, that 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 seems very strange to me. What? This was 1987 too. How how have I not seen this? Did it get like everybody says that? I mean, not really. I saw it on Boomerang a lot, but it's such a good show. Uh, and they deal with the real monsters, and they do all this stuff where, uh. And it's people. People give a lot of credit to Scooby Doo Mystery Inc. for having long running storylines, but honestly, Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo did it first because they'll have multiple episodes where they're just looking for this one demon. And then there's also these Ghost Brothers who are in it, not the Boo Brothers, who are who are trying to. I believe the context is they're trying to make sure that they all die trying to do this so that they can stop being ghosts and also become demons because they have to like sacrifice so many lives before they can become actual demons and stop being ineffective ghosts. So it's such a good show. I guess I just don't associate Scooby-Doo with anything religious. So the, the, the idea of just like legitimate Abrahamic mytholo- mythological demons is so bizarre mm-hmm. to me. Like, like, I can't well, even, I can't it's even a imagine little... Shaggy being like, Zoinks, man, it's a Dybbuk box or something like that, <laughs> which would be relatively tame by comparison. I mean, it is still very much for kids. You have the main, uh, probably the main helper who's helping them get these 13 demons back in their chest, Vincent Van Gogh, who is voiced by Vincent Price, which, perfect, perfect. And he's in every episode, and he speaks to them in a crystal ball. And they have all these episodes and they have to deal with all these tasks like there's dragons. Uh, Daphne uh, gets turned into a werewolf when they go to this town that is all werewolves. Supposed to be talking about music, but I guess we're talking about Scooby-Doo now. Uh, At what point did they decide to start doing real uh, monsters and real magic and all that? Because that's the sort of the the stereotypical Scooby-Doo story is that it's just a guy in a mask and it's always just a guy in a mask. But, you know, we even, we began this conversation by talking about, uh, like, Zombie Island and Alien Invasion and Cyber Chase and all that, which uh, those have some great uh, songs in them, by the way, as well, yes. like the aliens are here. But, you know, in all of those, it is a real phenomenon. Like, there are the, the werecat ladies on Zombie Island, and the aliens are real, as the song says. Uh well, the promotional tag for Zombie Island was this time the monsters are real. As far as I can surmise, the original shows didn't have it, have the uh, monsters being real. Now, I do believe the trend did start with the specials because once everybody, and for those who aren't really into Scooby Doo, it's not just Scooby Doo, where are you? And then new Scooby Doo. There's like 50 of those fuckers. There's uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Scooby-Doo and uh, Scrappy Show. uh, The Scooby-Doo Show. Scooby-Doo's new movies. 
all those. Um, but I think where the monsters getting involved and being real monsters came from the specials they were airing on uh, NBC, CBS, and ABC during that time when they didn't have uh, I- I- any television property so you're thinking about ghoul school you're thinking about uh the scooby-doo and the reluctant werewolf uh scooby-doo and the boo brothers where all those monsters were actually real but they weren't really the the villain the reluctant werewolf i had completely forgotten about one but i think that's one of the most enjoyable for me just because of how goofy it is the idea that there's just all of these monsters having a big rate my thing is you're going to have a girl who looks enough like Daphne for her to be Daphne, but it's just Shaggy's girlfriend, uh, Googie. What, what? That's her name, Googie. Googie. G-O-O-G-E-Y. Googie. Or maybe it's G-O-O-G-I-E. I don't know, but it's Googie. You think she looks like Daphne? The, in the 80s, they were doing some redesigns of her. She, uh, Daphne's in the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, but she looks completely different. Like, she, she got the, uh, April, almost said April Rimbauer makeover. No, she got the, uh, she got the April, what's her name from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? April O'Neil. She got the April O'Neil makeover. She wears a power suit, has different hair. They have a different mystery machine. And Fred and Velma are off at, uh, well, Fred's off at trap camp and Velma's off at uh, science camp. There is one particular line from Reluctant Werewolf uh, that, you know, I, I first watched this thing when I'm probably like four years old or something like that, right? So I'm not sure I, I got it. But Dracula has this assistant lady and she just keeps saying these stupid things. And then he, he, he repeats the line a couple times. I'll call you when I want to be alone, or something like that. Do you re- do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I never really understood exactly what he meant by that when I was a child. I just kind of assumed he was calling her stupid, and I'm still not <laughs> sure that I know exactly what he means by that. But I've definitely been in situations when I'm like surrounded by people, or I'm hanging out with one or two specific people, and I just think, "Wow." You guys really make me feel alone. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to relate to him. You either live long enough to uh, become the villain or die a hero, or however you put it. I butchered that, but oh well. Butchered the fuck out of that. Last thing I'm going to say about the Scooby-Doo anything, but the Scooby-Doo specials from the early 80s are so unhinged. Um... Like the fact that, and these are the movies you can pretty much tell because it's just Scooby and Shaggy and sometimes Scrappy. And Shaggy's for some reason always wearing a red shirt. I don't know why they decided to change that. But in Scooby-Doo meets the Boo Brothers, Shaggy, Shaggy inherits an antebellum house from his uncle. Who was a Confederate soldier. And that's just something you're not going to see in a kid's movie anymore. (laughs) Which is kind of silly because, you know, the Civil War happened. I don't think that's controversial, although I wouldn't be surprised nowadays. Yeah, but he inherited the house and he was looking for, they say, uh, he buried a Confederate treasure here. And, like, the whole movie is them looking for a buried Confederate treasure. (laughs) What's, What's 
what's controversial about that? Well, look, okay. The real treasure was... The real treasure was the slaves we made along the way. And Shaggy's wearing a red shirt, so I like to think of it as Republican-era Shaggy. Red shirt Shaggy was super weird. I'm not sure why they did that. But like, no, okay. The Confederacy existed and had money. Which which of these two things is controversial? The fact that the fact that they're like, yeah, Confederate treasure. (laughs) There's no like qualm about accepting, and it's his uncle, so it's like a living. It was a living descendant, so it's just dirty money. It's just dirty money. And two, historically, how did his uncle keep all that Confederate money? Because after the Civil War, which what time place does Scooby Doo take place in, where there's these '70s cars? but also relatives who were alive to see the Confederate War. I would, I would have to see the specifics of that episode to be sure, because I, I think it would be pretty sketchy if we were to assume that Shaggy's literal uncle was in the Civil War. That doesn't make any sense chronologically. Uh, and I also want to point and then out there's... that it, it's not treasure. If it's Scooby-Doo, it's treasure. Treasure. Know. Yeah. Look, guys. Treasure. Treasure. <laughs> but basically the whole thing is them having a uh they're having a scavenger hunt to find this treasure and it's actual treasure like gold and necklaces with jewels. Where are you getting this? <laughs> um especially after like the reconstruction era happened. If we're gonna say that the Civil War happened, so did the Reconstruction era era of the south where we were just broke well, that's why they buried the treasure it's so that the north could treasure <laughs> scarlet o'hara was making dresses out of drapes and this man had treasure <laughs> he knew that one day it would I-, I wish there would be like an overarching epic scooby-doo canon where like shaggy's confederate treasure ends up coming in handy so that he can you know buy a whole bunch of stuff to get ready for the demon apocalypse or whatnot like like i want them to turn this franchise into an epic fantasy saga well they can't well one they can't even do that within their own show because i have the new uh scooby-doo movies which is uh, i don't know why they're called the new scooby-doo movies because they were just released in uh, the early 80s and it's just the ones where they meet a celebrity like Batman and Robin the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> well you see back uh, in the 80s everything they released was new because it was the present <laughs> but it's still called the new Scooby-Doo movies yeah. <laughs> but I swear to god they've met Don Knotts like six times and every time they're like Oh, look, it's Don Knotts. <laughs> and they act like they've never met Don Knotts before. And I'm like, you solved the whole mystery. Maybe maybe stop smoking Shaggy's G13. Uh, Don Knotts is also the groundskeeper in Scooby-Doo Night of a Hundred Frights. He, they, they, they just call him the groundskeeper, but he's voiced by Don Knotts, and he is drawn as Don Knotts. Like, it's literally just him. He's like, always the spooky groundskeeper. Whatever happened to the butler did it. <laughs> Whatever happened to the butler did it. I love him. And, oh my god, well, we, I mean, it's fair. This is a Halloween episode. We can go <laughs> off on a Scooby tangent, yeah, damn so it. I've still got, like, two <laughs> songs I want to talk about. Uh. Okay, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Are you sure? Okay. Uh, so, 
the the next song is one that i heard very recently and i don't know anything about the artist at all it's like Dell or and it's all capitalized uh i've only heard like two of their songs but there is one of them called the wolf uh that it also has this sort of like i guess crystalline kind of haunting feeling to it that makes me feel like i'm walking down a dark street as like this cold mist is kind of descending on me and it the first time i heard the song for reasons that i cannot explain it just kind of took me back into the past and i just like closed my eyes and sat down and thought about like the past 10 to 15 years of my life and how everything has progressed and anytime a song can actually do that you know can can allow me to experience these emotions beyond just passive listening then it's something that i pay attention to and this song certainly did it and because it does have that haunting feeling to it it has made it onto my halloween playlist and uh the other song was waltz by ian axel which i have not been able to find on spotify for many years and that frustrates me but it's you can look it up on youtube uh it's just this guy playing the piano and he's singing this song and i have no idea what the song is about but it just invokes these images of like an entire town coming back from the dead and having like a party and trying to get this guy to join in on it again no idea i love that what the song is about but you know he's like uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to sing it. Never mind. But yeah, it, I, I highly recommend it. it. It has that sort of quirky, spooky waltz feeling to it uh, that that I like for Halloween. Um, I tried to find it, but I couldn't. Uh, but I love that imagery. It's giving me. Uh, what the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was "Night on Bald Mountain" from Fantasia which is probably one of the spookiest little things they ever did, in my opinion, where the Balrog is raising the dead, and they're just basically taking over the town. The shit early Disney got away with. Bald Mountain just makes me think of The Witcher 3. I'm pretty sure it's Bald Mountain is where the the ladies of the wood are sacrificing people. I might be mistaken on that. That certainly has no shortage of creepy uh, vibes as well. Yeah, I saw a um, I saw a very interesting documentary about these uh, three uh, moms who went to Bald Mountain, and there was a nice man camping there, and uh, they wanted more children, so he helped them also have children. This might not have been a documentary now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> That sounds like it could have gone uh, very... But I will say, it does explain why the mountain is called Bald Mountain. I saw that coming. They didn't. Yeah, there's that one. Right in the eye. You got any more? No, I'm good. Okay. How about any more? I'm good this time. Uh, no, no, I'm I'm tapped out. Uh, <laughs> I kind of blew my load with the Scooby-Doo bit. Okay. Uh, in- All right. In that case, I did have one other, not song, but artist that I wanted to talk about, because Mm -hmm. I I don't think it would be possible to talk about spooky songs without at least mentioning this person, and that is Aurelio Voltaire. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. He uh, was the writer and the artist for the Brain song on The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, for anyone who remembers that. 
which yes, I heard him talking about the the story of the inception of that song, and apparently the reason that it's like five minutes long is because he was getting paid by the minute, and so he just uh. he just made it as long as as allowable, which I think is funny. But he has a ton of songs that have that sort of uh, gothic or or edgy or, or or like Halloween kind of feeling to them, um, like when you're evil. Death, death, evil, evil song. Ex lovers, lover. Ex lovers, lover is really, really good. I highly recommend that song. Um, I really like that guy's voice. It reminds me a lot of Audrey Two in Little Shop of Horrors. It kind of has that soulfulness to it, but it's also singing about spooky stuff. Now, were you an avid watcher of The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy? So I kind of just watched whatever was on at the time i wouldn't call myself an avid watcher because the things that i avidly watch nowadays i'm basically a savant about it was just you know if it was on i watched it i have a lot of memories that probably can't be unlocked until somebody brings them up my my big thing was um it's fascinating that we don't have as much of it nowadays and i always champion it when it does come out gateway like gateway horror Stuff that gets people interested. Billy and Mandy, for better or worse, was that for me. You had the characters who were drawn like standard cartoons, but the backgrounds and like the opening title, it was just so otherworldly and spooky, and the setting just allowed itself to do so much. Um, I What was it? You had that episode, the Brains episode, which I really liked, and then you had the... Well, well, which is dark as hell, because... He's sending Billy to just go collect people's brains, and he's just doing it for no better reason than Billy is stupid and doesn't have a brain, so he'll go get people with brains and bring them. It's so awesome. But then they had one, uh, it was their actual Halloween special, where they raised Jack O'Lantern, who's like the king of pranks in Halloween, and it's basically a guy who had his head cut off and they replaced it with a jack-o'-lantern. I really love that story and that um, iconography. Which, I may be getting some folklore mixed up, but isn't that isn't that the origin of Jack-O-Lantern? Like, he was this guy that was such a trickster that he kept making deals with the devil and getting away with it. And so God wouldn't let him into heaven because he was deceitful and, and making deals with the devil. But the devil hated him so much that he didn't want him in hell. So he had to just like wander around the earth carrying a lantern. Am I making that up? No, no, that's essentially the thing. Because originally the jack-o'-lantern was a turnip. They would carve a turnip out and the turnip was filled with uh, coal from the fires of hell. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you would see. And so you burn it because all the demons were afraid of him. Not really afraid of him, but annoyed by him. So people would carve those, set them out, and then the demons would leave them alone on All Hallows' Eve. Um, but this story's a bit lighter just because it's not the devil or anyone doing this. It's just the townspeople of the city just got tired of his shit <laughs> doing stuff like unscrewing the, he does shit like unscrewing the uh, top of the salt canister and putting whoopee cushions down and people just got so tired of his obnoxious stupid pranks that they cut off his head which again for a children's show it's very simple and easy to absorb but also very fucking dark (laughs) Uh, there are a lot of things 
when you're a child, you're just a knowledge sponge, and there's a lot of things, <laughs> you know, you don't really question because they're just being integrated into your worldview, but as an adult, mm -hmm. you start to gain a respect for the fact that a human being had to do this. Who decided mm -hmm. that the Grim Reaper would be Jamaican? <laughs> I have no clue. I, I, I wondered that watching it, too. Um... But again, the whole concept of the show being uh, you have the standard seventh seal, which we'll probably cover in an episode at some point, where you have the classic story of someone having to play games with death and win in order to live. And the whole premise of the show is uh, death gets beaten a game by Billy and Mandy, so now de death is Billy and Mandy's slave forever and that's just a fun premise and then they also had that fun christmas special where uh santa claus was a vampire but it was really spoiler alert for a cartoon nobody probably watches anymore what was it uh yeah mrs claus was the vampire the whole time raising an army of elven vampires i feel like the grim adventures of bill and ted is a missed opportunity because in bogus adventure they also beat death in like several dozen challenges i feel like these two things should be i mean some way. isn't isn't uh bogus journey basically the grim adventures of bill and ted because it becomes the same thing yeah i suppose so like two two well mandy's not a dimwit but two dimwits basically outsmart death and then death is just kind of their best friend for the rest of the thing the rest of the series because he's in Bill and Ted face the music. So his Ted has to be Mandy. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, did you have anything else to add about music? Uh, no, that's about it. Uh, one remark on Aurelio Voltaire is that he also has some very nice sort of satirical songs, like making fun of MTV and, and different aspects of pop culture, which I think are very fun. And then something that you talked about. I love about, that name. Uh, in this previous discussion made me think of Gravity Falls, which, did you ever watch Gravity Falls? Yes. So they they have an excellent Halloween episode. It's not a special, but it's the Halloween episode, uh, Summerween. And I just wanted to give a mm -hmm. shout out to how creative an idea the Summerween trick, trickster was and how absolutely terrifying his design is. You talked about mm -hmm. gateway horror. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that Gravity Falls does a good job of that. Uh, I know it's fairly old at this point, but but I but I understand what you're saying with that. I like Gravity Falls too, and it's like on the darker edge. Uh, it like tiptoes into it. Um, I I wouldn't say any any show right now really meets that that little dark darkness. Probably if I had to put a pin in it, I would say Infinity Train, maybe. But that's just more dark themes. It's not so much dark imagery. But you think about shows like Flapjack and Chowder, that would just have some dis and early SpongeBob would just have some disgusting imagery that could literally haunt your nightmares. 